quiver's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name. My eyes are on the target, broadheads all fly true. Can't wait till I can get outside so I can fling a few. We're in trouble. Okay, <laughs> we're all still on. As far as I know, I and am. what is Bob yeah. on? What am I on? Yeah, I'm good. Miller Light. Miller is that Light. What you're on? That's what I'm having right okay. now. Oh, Thirsty. Yeah. It's hot. Yeah. Thirsty. Okay. Right. And what's <laughs> Barry on? I'm on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Pass some of that over here. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> you know it, the, the sad part of it is somebody handed me. I wouldn't know whether to smoke it, inject it, drink it. You know. Sniff it or whatever yeah, they do. Yeah, I'm not into that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you ever hear of a suppository? <laughs> yeah, I'm <in> a suppository. <laughs> right. that's what you way, do with all of them, Barry. Yeah. By the way, Mike, you're gonna have to give me another enema tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, are we on? Yeah, oh, we're, we're on. on. We're on. <laughs> okay, we've been on. We've been on. That's all right. We're always. You on. can use yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, oh, we're using it for sure. I prefer. Let me say this right now. I prefer multiple choice or true and false questions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, right, that's too ahead. quick. <laughs> Welcome to the Track West Podcast. I'm your host, James Orr, and joining me as always, Bob the Bowhunter Borland. We're out in Bering Springs, Michigan, on the St. Joe's River. Um, it is awesome. We're at the Compton Traditional Rendezvous, and... Uh, We've got a special group of guys to share with you guys today. We're pretty excited about it. Uh, who we got, Bob? Barry Wenzel and Mike Benton. A couple legends with us today. Yeah. Yeah. So, Thank you, Well, guys. at least one of us are. <laughs> right, yeah. Stand up and take a bow. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. If you guys don't know my Mike Minton and Barry Wenzel, well, get out under the rock that you're living under. Uh, these guys uh, have done uh, a lot for traditional bow hunting. And we're uh, really honored to be sitting here uh, with you guys. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, our uh, pleasure, thanks for inviting us. Yeah, yeah. it's been a, yeah, quite a long day, but uh, we're not done yet. Yeah, we appreciate it. We know it is hot. It's hot can be here, sweaty. So mm -hmm. we appreciate you guys. Yeah, why don't you guys just, you know, uh, see, you wanted multiple choice, so. Sure. <laughs> Let Mike go first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why don't you just give us a little background of uh, how you guys met and, and how you guys okay. kind of started working together. Um, we probably met back uh, on, on uh, I was going to say online, but that didn't exist back, <laughs> you know, in the 80s yeah. and so forth. So we pass uh, pictures and things together, uh, white tails at the end of the season. And uh, we always followed Barry's works with uh, October Whitetails. And Gene always uh, wrote, you know, he had all his books. So, and then Gene kind of went on a, his classic Whitetails tour. That was our first opportunity to physically meet him uh, other than phone calls and things. So <laughs> primarily through the PBS, Professional Bowhunter Society. And uh, as Gene went on tour, we eventually got to meet him in person. And uh, Barry probably followed after that with some of the first... Uh, PBS uh, banquets in in Ohio. That was probably my first meeting the the, the pair of them. 
but uh, our collaborations started uh, many years later when me and my brother David started working on a, a film project about solo hunting. Just, you know, don't get so focused on the kill, but the whole process. And we were, had that idea and we were working on it. It didn't take us long to start, sh you know, showing a few of the film, film clips and stuff to my other brother, Mark. And then he joined the project and then Gene found out about it. Then he, then he joined and eventually Barry. So now you have five basic brother brothers of the bow. Uh, working on the same project of uh, trying to get uh, a film production out and eventually became uh, known as Primal Dreams. So it was a five-year uh, five filming process that we finally launched in 2005. Yeah, and, uh, and we had a sequel after that, and then so. Uh, and those series of videos are by far, I mean, they're classics. I mean, they're some of my favorites. I mean, you know, right before bow season, you watch those, and it just gets it just gets you fired up. Yeah. I hear that all the time. Guys will say, you know, I I watch it bef right before bow season to get yeah. fired up and and so forth. And it's but, so, so diverse know, as well. I mean, it's uh, <coughs> ten different states and multiple multiple species. And my brother David did all the editing to tie all that together. Can you imagine the film footage that we had that you know didn't make it and so forth? But yeah. Uh, Go ahead, that's, that's, I was going to say, people don't realize that, that, uh, I mean, they, my brother and I being identical twins, we get mixed up all the time and I'll have people, you know, say, say, Gene will have people say to him, you know, I really loved your videos and, and they'll say to me, I really loved your books and stuff. And they don't realize that actually Gene, uh, started writing the books, whatever year it was in the, the late seventies, he came to me and he said, I think we should write a book you know, on whitetails, and, and I said, you know, I don't, I really didn't want to, I didn't want to draw attention to myself, and I said, I'll give you my input, information, and help, but I said, I don't want to write it myself, you know, and so he went ahead and did that, and I give him, you know, my opinions, etc. So he actually wrote the book, and then I got approached about uh, doing videos, and so basically he ended up writing the original books and I did the original videos. People don't know that, um, actually we did, Bowhunting October Whitetails was the big one that started the ball rolling. But we actually did three before that, traits, tracks, and trophies were the names of them. And then Bowhunting October Whitetails came out and I, <coughs> I had a, a camera behind me, you know, type of thing, filming me, and then I filmed some of the other scenes, etc. But uh, I made two running shots, and it, it's kind of interesting because everybody remembers the one running shot going right to left, and then, but actually the shot, another, the second running shot going from left to right was actually a better shot, but um, for some reason people all always remember the one going right to left. But I, and I've said over the years, I think everybody in their lives have made some unbelievable outstanding shots and I just happen to have a camera rolling behind me when I did mine but those they tell me those were the first two deer ever killed with a bow on production video and nowadays there's tens of thousands of them yeah. but I just happen to be the guy that shot the first two but that opened and you have to realize when that video was made in the early 80s and I have to say, it was ahead of its time. Um, when you look at that film now, it's nothing special. But then when you realize when it was filmed or made in, you know, the early yeah. 80s, 
I mean, it was way ahead of its time type of thing, you know. It's similar to Gene's books, you know, when he started writing the books, same thing, I think the first one came out in 1980. Um, you read that now, and it's pretty much all common knowledge, but back then, it was not common knowledge. And we had the deer biologists, you know, you know, where'd you guys come up with this stuff? This is really good. I mean, this is the missing pieces of the puzzle type of thing. And, you know, and, and that hunters were appreciative because it opened the doors. You know, these guys that were trying to put the puzzle together and all of a sudden here's these two fat guys from Montana that's giving you the, the pieces to complete the puzzle type of thing. So, again, it was real beneficial. But Gene did the, the most of the writing and I did the videos. And now as it progressed you know later years we both write and we both do videos and so forth you know but uh so that's kind of how we got going and stuff and with mike and you know the mitten brothers etc we we had some footage and they had a bunch of footage and we basically made it for family and friends it was not in necessarily intended for production purposes and after people would, would show it to our family or friends or, you know, people say, man, you know, you need to put this stuff, you know, out there because it's fantastic, you know. And then, and then I, I should interject this. When uh, <laughs> Primal Dreams first came out, the, our conglomeration between that and that production, I had some guy call me. I don't know who he was, but some guy called me on the phone one day and he says he had seen it and bought it wherever he saw it and he says who are you guys and i said what do you mean and, you know, and he says who are you guys he says i'm a cameraman for national geographic for 18 years and he says this is good stuff you know <laughs> so which you know think about it i yeah. mean that's a, a heck of a compliment yeah. type yeah. thing you know so also anyway. i mean the the footage is one thing but mm -hmm. trying to join it all together with the music and the narrations and stuff and that's the mastery of my brother david who yeah did dave all the david is stuff. unbelievable yeah the music is yeah because you have to be a perfectionist to take care of all that and make it as good as it was if you look at it and if somebody points it out to you you can understand it but he would a couple things he would time like a, a deer is bounding he would time when the deer's hoofs hit the ground to the beat of the music you know i mean yeah. you got to be kidding me i remember one time we were shooting that we're editing this one scene and david says oh man i can't use this i can't we can't use it and he said what's wrong and he says because it was a fall scene and he says that that bird in the background is the spring mating call of a red-breasted warbler or something and he said it's in the spring he says people are going to know that that's not a fall scene you know and i give you david don't worry about it they won't real recognize the bird chirp is interjected from the fall you know but anyway live with it you know but and it was it was quite the interesting you know yeah. production type of thing but we had a good time heck yeah it's awesome yeah and so you you and your brother originally from Montana? No, no. Actually, we were born in Pennsylvania at a very young age. Um, <laughs> no, we were at the same time. Yeah. At the same time. No, I'm, I'm eight minutes older. You know, he's been trying to catch up ever since. You know. But anyway, we were born in Pennsylvania, moved away when we were one because there was nothing but spike horns there at the time. You know. So anyway, we we lived in New York State, Connecticut, Vermont, mostly Vermont went to school in Indiana, and then we moved to uh, northwestern Montana for almost 30 years. And then in 99, when the kids were all grown and gone, um, we moved to 
uh, Iowa. I moved to Montana because of the bow hunting. And I, I should say this, everything in life is kind of dependent on timing. And I got to admit, our, our timing was a- excellent because when I lived in Montana, you could, sh- you could hunt 10 species of big game if you got the right paperwork, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. different species. But I, I frankly, I, we, or we, I should say, spent 95% of our time hunting whitetails type of thing. And we, we moved there specifically for the, the, the big game, you know, yeah. for right. the hunting and stuff, you know. And uh, just to make it real quick, then in the, the 90s, we got approached uh, to the guide of this one rancher, you know, said, you know, he asked us if, we'd would, if we would run hunts on there for him, bow hunts. And I, I at first I w- didn't want to do it, <clears throat> but it ended up that we d- decided, we'll try it on a trial basis. And it was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be, um, as long as the the clients are, were appreciative. So um, we used to hunt bow. It was bow hunting only, and it was like five miles of river bottom. We'd we'd take uh, um, in our, our the bow season was September, October, November, and we would hunt bow hunt you know, guide two weeks on, a week off, two weeks on, a week off, and we ended up we'd take two hunters each gene and i so uh 28 hunters basically of for seven what was it seven weeks to the 11 week season i think it ended up but we ended up guiding 200 whitetail bow hunters and and i'm proud of the fact and i don't know if it's accurate but people have told us that 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 we had uh, the highest success percentage i mean we guided over 200 guys to pope and young class bucks you know, wow. and that 90, I think it was, I don't remember, 97 or 98% success. And the only guys that didn't shoot one were guys who were looking for a Boone and Crockett type of thing yeah. and held out and so forth. But it was it was very uh, educational and very fun, um, as, as I said, a, a learning experience for them and for the, the clients that were coming in and so forth, you know. But yeah, and I, and I think a lot of guys, when they think of Montana, they're thinking of screaming bulls in September. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did you guys dabble in elk, or was white, or you just drawn yeah. to the whitetail? Well, it kind of it depended on, the, you know, the year and if we were guiding or not. We did that for, I don't remember, seven or eight years. But uh, the, the bow season back then in Montana started right around Labor Day, you know, beginning mm-hmm. of September. And I used to program, or uh, I, like I normally, on our average year, I would go either muley hunting or antelope hunting or something. I used to, I'd go in high mountain mule deer hunting first weekend because a lot of the whitetails were still in velvet and stuff. And then the second week of September, we'd go, I'd go antelope hunting. And then the third week, I'd go elk hunting and, you know, type of thing. And then work it in, you know, finally into October, October. Gene and I used to both take our quote-unquote vacation, and we used to take the first two weeks of October, which happened to be the, the last two weeks of the bow season. So we would end up, um, you know, making a circuit, and w- we would leave, and we, we would major river bottoms. We would hunt, you know, and uh, focus on that. But we made a circuit, and uh, we would go into a farm. We hunted the the Missouri River, the Yellowstone River, the Milk River, and Mussel Shell and stuff like that. But we'd make a circuit, and we'd go into a farm and we'd hang 
stands and we found that the first day was always great second day pretty good third day it was just fair and it would start to go down so we would hunt for three days leave our stands there go on to the, a new ranch hunt it for three days and then go on to a third one hunt it for three days and then come back to the first one and it would be fresh again and you'd yeah. have three more good days and so <laughs> forth so I, as i said everything was in the timing we had we hunted for decades where i never saw a bow hunter never heard yeah. of a, another bow hunter do, and do stuff, you think so. do you think because you were pursuing whitetails and not mule deer and elk so much that because that state is known for elk and, and mule deer that there wasn't as many people hunting the whitetail yeah um the same thing with the elk though i used to we used to pack in you gotta get these little honey holes type of thing and I would pack in. I remember the, the one area that I liked the best. It, it was 29 miles in by gravel road, parked at the end of the dead end road. And then I would we'd hike, depending where you'd camp. But I'd, I'd put 65, 70 pounds on my back, hike in three to five miles, and then throw the, and I'd, oh, you used to leave in, at night, like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and hike all night. And you get to wherever you're going to build your camp and dump everything on the ground and we'd hunt for a few hours in the morning, come back, set up our camp, and then take a nap and then stay for what we did. I had Thursday was my day off in the office, so I ended up, I, I just wouldn't, you know, book anybody coming in for Friday or Saturday. And when you live in vacation land, I mean, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you can get a lot of stuff done, you know, yeah. in, a, in a four-day weekend. Yeah, I, I work four tens, have Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday off. I live in elk country, so. Sure, yeah, yeah. so you you understand. Yeah. And know. I work amongst the elk because I work in the woods, mm -hmm. so that's yeah, nice. But frankly, as far as the elk hunting goes, I, I passed up. I didn't shoot a, a bull for many years because, in other words, I was so far back in. If I shot one, you know, I mean, you got the, the guys that road hunt them and you got the guys that have the pack horses and all this stuff. And you got the idiots like me that have to pack one out in your back. And you got to, if you got to pack a bull out for five, six miles or something, man, I mean, Mike's a guy that does that, you know, I mean, yeah. you know. And, we, and you were from <laughs> the like Midwest, Mike, and yeah. you were going back, uh, uh, going over west to hunt elk and stuff? Yeah, elk and mule deer and stuff like that, probably. You know, you gain your self-reliance and, you know, your animal lore and animal behavior skills and your woodsmanship, you know, hunting white tails and, and black bear up in Canada. But uh, then my first uh, solo hunt was in Colorado when you're, you got a you know, hunt planned and you know, the anticipation of the hunt all year long. And then somebody backs out on you and you end up, you know, going alone. So that was, a, was in 94, uh, I think, was when one of the first times I went for two weeks for in Colorado, and I had and he, an he told me he was really scared those two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but, I already uh, was staying in a hotel at night, yeah. actually. <laughs> and then I had an uh, outfitter friend that packed me in on horseback, and then uh, so you find out the areas of their uh, of their where they where they manage their outfit and territory, and there's always big holes, like there's literal holes that are giant canyons. And figurative holes, holes where an outfitter's not going to go because it's about money for them. And yeah. he gets a guy over there, it's going to take too much time. And so yep. you find out where yep. these guys are hunting and, and not hunting. And uh, so I would, you know, I would get down in these deep canyon holes. And then now you have a lot of elk down in there. And I'd hunt them like whitetails, the outside edges. Don't watch my scent. Don't my wind. Don't encroach too much because I wanted to, once I'm in, I wanted to stay in. Yeah. 
But when you wake up in the morning, there's no travel time. There's no getting on the horse and trying yeah. to get to where the elk are. I mean, I was living where the elk are. Yeah. And then you end up just, you know, cow calling and things like that, being not real aggressive like you would with with a, with two people. Two people get together. They feed off each other. You know, they push each other to go further. Yeah. Well, I've already done that part. I've already gone further because, <laughs> you know, the outfitter dropped me off at an edge, and then I end up, you know, yeah. packing down into the hole and, and work the elk, and then you end up killing one or, or you know, the first one I killed down in there i was you know get one started call them call to them and and try to get them to start talking either talking to you or if they switch off and start back and forth to another bull then you can shut up and sneak in on them with your bow you know and yeah the first encounter i had was uh, you know a bull coming out calling across the canyon to another one and i got up next to him and uh, he come out to the end of the the ridge point and uh he was full bugle chuckle because the bulls they chuckle in their basically talking to another bull but he didn't know I was there, and he's coming out to the end of the, pe- the peak of this ridge, and there's a giant boulder rock but the size of a garage or something. And I wasn't sure if I should go around or go up, but uh, he was on the other side of this uh, boulder rubbing on a tree. Well, the limbs were shaking, and you know, I could see the tree, tree moving on my side, so I knew that he was you know, moving his way towards the end and knew that he eventually was going to come down to the end of, that, end of that point. So I snuck down there, got to the end before him, and he'd come out to the edge, and uh, he let out a full-blown bugle and chuckle, and he's only nine feet away from me, you know, calling to that other bull. And then he made just one more step, and then, you know, he turned and sees his eye bugs, and I was already at full draw with the, you know, 75-pound uh, recurve, and, you know, took him there, and he ran down the hill, you know, 100 yards and piled up, you know. So, But now I'm down in this deep canyon, and now it's like what Barry said, uh, you're an idiot type of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's really no, no place you would rather be. I mean, you, uh, you know, all those experiences are, are part of it, you know. So I had to, you know, cut up the bull and put it in a, you know, 80-pound pack size, try to keep it, you know, within that range. You have about 220 pounds of boned-out meat. So, you know, a large bull elk and the antlers and stuff. Oh, yeah. and you got to pack it, you know. I got to yeah. interject this, too, and I won't mention any names, but I remember – many years ago and the guy happened to be from Iowa and uh, I won't mention his name but he he was hunting in Colorado and he said he came into this canyon and he said and I looked down this hole and he says I knew that you know that's where the bulls were going to be but he says I was trying to talk myself into going down and he says oh man no way he says you know can I make it down there and he said all of a sudden I saw movement and he says, it's a guy. And he says, this guy <laughs> comes walking up the mountain, and it's, it's Mike. And the, guy, and the guy says, this Mike Mitten guy, he's an animal. I mean, he's a, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. you hear this guy was trying to decide whether yeah. to go down in, and Mike's coming up out of it, you know. For, yeah. And were you doing the solo hunting even yeah. for, for elk? You were not taking a partner? Right, correct. So then I, you know, finished that hunt, and then I in alaska alone for three weeks at a time and then for moose and end up going back to colorado again and hunt you know alone but the outfitter would get me in the, the seven mile pack in and then i would go out from there and then use him to help transport any meat or whatever that i would get out you know and shot a bull down in that i think that same hole that barry was just talking about you know and bringing the rack out and uh, the one of the guys was a game warden from iowa you know and 
and uh, you know, I got the antlers there at the at the camp, you know, and uh, yeah, other people have tr you know tried to go down in there in previous years, and the rain can come hard, and then you know it's a little bit different then when you have a, you know the gully washes coming down in there, it's harder to them for them to get out. But uh, yeah, so I, like I said, I talk about uh, you know the physical or you know literal holes that you know in the basically get down in, and then other other parts are. Uh, uh, figurative where outfitter's not going to go and so I've used that same technique then that same principle when I hunt in Alaska you know I'll try to contact the outfitters if there is any in the area find out where they're going and I would get good leads on hey we, I hunt up this river here I go up the river in a jet boat or whatever with my you know I would call them high dollar clients you know it's pretty expensive to be fully guided in Alaska for moose and but I would find out hey where are you at and then I I said, do you mind if I go over there or whatever? And he said, well, yeah. I'm not going to hunt there, but I would really love to know what's over there. And so I'd get, you know, ideas to go, in, you know, land in or get contacts with a pilot and find out from them where to go. So it's, I guess, it's st you know, you always think of the outfitters are all real protective. And, you know, some are because it's their livelihood, but some aren't so stingy. So, yeah. I mean, that's those are the contacts I would use, for, you know, for Alaska. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the DNR as well as, you know, the outfitters as well. Yeah, we were just, we just... Uh, Sat down with Burkhart and did a yeah did an interview with him. We did one a while ago on moose, and he said that you would tell us where you're moose hunting up there. Said <laughs> oh, to make yeah. sure to ask yeah. Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you go first, Brian. <laughs> but uh, okay, uh, this I guess I guess at my own defense, I've killed uh, whatever four four bulls in four different mountain ranges <laughs> of Alaska <laughs> with, yeah. with, yeah. with four different bows. So I mean, I'm sort of very diverse. Whereas uh, yeah, Brian, no. he is. He, he, I guess he's honing uh, it it was one spot, the, huh? the epitome of uh, the honey hole. You know, <laughs> right. If you I go to if you go to the Compton's, uh, uh, so what you're saying is, is Burkhart's still using his, and you got a few spots that you could loan <laughs> yeah. us. I used to prefer to hunt alone too, and I, I, you know, there's two really good you know aspects of hunting alone that I really enjoyed. One was like when. In fact, I stopped making the videos for years because when you got another cameraman, the best mm -hmm. video is when you got a cameraman filming you and so forth. But <clears throat> like I said, it, I could handle if I messed up, I could handle it. But if here comes a big one and the cameraman sneezes or coughs or whatever, if he messes up, I can't take it right. Yeah. You know, so, so I would, would end up hunting. So that alone. would uh, that would explain yeah. the scars on uh, several cameramen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I, again, I, I prefer <laughs> because I know number yep, one, I know if I screw up, it's yeah. my fault yeah. type of thing. And then the other advantage is when you're hunting alone, if you do miss. Nobody knows it, you know. <laughs> you just don't, you know. You don't admit exactly. that. No, no, exactly. You know. No safety harness for the cameraman, <clears throat> so you can just push him out of you, a tree. No. You come just, back to camp with an arrow. You just, oh, it fell out of my quiver, right? I did. One. Uh, I'll just tell you one big buck. And the, the cameraman was in the same tree as me, off my right shoulder. This was in Montana, and here come. In fact, the buck ended up. Uh, Somebody got him in the gun season, but here comes the buck like this, and you know he's ab I'm absolutely going to shoot him. He was pushing 160 inches, and he's going to walk right by 10 yards type of thing. And the camera, I thought he was messing with me. He says, uh, "I'm getting a battery reading," and I looked at him, and I could when I saw his face, I knew he wasn't kidding. And he says, "Camera's dead. Don't shoot." You know, so I have to have, and I had one tag in the area. 
you know, if I would have shot, we had just got there. It was like second day or something like that, and we'd had three weeks to hunt. And, <laughs> and if I would have shot it, I'm out type of thing. So I had to let, let this 160-inch buck walk right uh. by, you know, and, and, and uh, what do you do, you know? And, uh, but he was, it was, he had a dead battery type of thing, and, just, you know. <laughs> and so you so said the heck with it after that, huh? I did for for <laughs> years. No, for years yeah. I, w I would, you know. Oh man! You know. So if you see some of my current stuff, I I take that the, the, the same way that Barry just said. But I'm going to shoot because I I'm not I, I can make a video I think pretty well without necessarily having that final kill, mm -hmm. you know, because of what I've done in the past with either Primal Dreams or Essential Encounters, and then my, my new film that's out now, you know, mm -hmm. and so I'm not necessarily relying on that. Whereas the big promotional guys and the big you know, uh, TV film guys, out, TV guys yeah. outfits, they're all subject to their sponsors and so forth. And they, they require that for, for, for yeah. that end where I can, I'm, re I, I feel like I'm responsible just for the passion, for the passionate people. So they're going to get that passion from me and some of my works, whereas I, and I don't have to behold well, anybody. And I think the whole hunting video stuff, like they've gotten away a little bit from having to have the kill shot. Yeah. There's been some good films out, yeah. you know, and it's kind of, it's not as big of a deal, I think, anymore, which is a good thing. I think we're kind of mm -hmm. turning the corner. Yeah, so I'm, you know, like Barry, a hunter that films versus, you know, a, a photographer or videographer that hunts, you know, the, that type of scenario. I'm trying to capture, you know, the experience that I can. Because mainly uh, as I'm hunting alone, I get so many questions and, and, and suggestions or, I guess, comments <laughs> that uh, people would say, well, I'd love to be a little bird on your shoulders and, and see what you see and experience that. That what is it? Loneliness or is it you know the solitude or you know how do you how do you cope mentally and all these types of questions that you get? I, I'd love to be there like a little bird to see that. Well, now is their chance. They have that. I have that camera along in my current films and stuff that, that I can you know show that and try to get an idea of that. And the main thing about being alone is that we're human and communication. This talking is what you know makes us you know human yeah. type of thing. So when you're by yourself for that many weeks, two or three weeks at a time. Without seeing another human, you're not really talking until you have this this camera. You know, I started filming some of this stuff, and then you're doing narrations or talking to this camera. It's sort of sort of like uh, Tom Hanks in uh, Wilson in uh, Ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, talking to the Wilson basketball. He kept his you know his human side or his, that communication side by doing that. Yeah, and uh, so. But other folks, keeps, keeps other folks sane, cause you're do going that for 20 days. Right? Yeah, yeah. And some people do that with the with the satellite phones. They're calling home each night, talking to family members each yeah. night, each night. So you're not really, uh, you know, you're resetting that clock, that loneliness clock or the solitude clock each 24 hours yeah. in some cases. Whereas I when I was first doing those ones, those hunts I described in Montana or or Colorado or, or um, South Dakota, you know, I wouldn't see anybody and I would leave physical notes on the trees to the outfitter or whoever was around or I wouldn't talk to anybody, you yeah. know, so I didn't because I never had those uh, satellite phones. I never brought a phone until maybe I think uh, uh, 2002 was the first time because, you know, my wife was like, you know, I don't mind you going, but just that long block of time of not knowing it just starts to wear on you over over yeah. the years because I was doing this probably, you know, for 25 years, I'd go alone somewhere for two to yeah. a couple of weeks at a time anyway. So that first trip that I was in Alaska, you know, when I had that satellite phone, that really worked well for me because I could call the pilot and tell him that, uh, number one, I got a moose down. And number two, I'm nowhere near you where you dropped me off. 
I'm <laughs> six miles downriver yeah. from where you dropped me off. And you know, remember that little tiny runway you kind of halfway mentioned on the way in? Well, that's where that's I'm where at. That's where you need <laughs> to land. <laughs> that's where you need to land. And, uh, and oh, by the way, it's going to take me a couple of days to pack the moose because I shot the moose three miles from that runway. <laughs> so I <laughs> stuck with a, you know, a three-mile, you know, one-way. Uh, so it's uh, nine, nine trips for a moose. So that's basically 27 miles loaded, 27 miles unloaded in two and a half days of getting back to that, that landing strip that yeah. he briefly showed me. But, you know, without that, you, I wouldn't have got that moose. I wouldn't have seen, uh, seen those bulls because people, you know, in Alaska and stuff, they think there's a moose behind every boulder or every tree, and it's, you know, it's vastly game void. And so a lot, a lot of times it's up to you to find them to get, you know, to get that responsive bull that either come into your calls or you know, that special bull that's in that uh, a scenario where you can see it and then have the opportunity to stalk it, you know, spot and stalk. But yeah. but uh, even my first bulls, almost, you know, three out of the almost three out of the four bulls, you know, were all, you know, hard-earned. I mean, that first bull in the 80s, I shot him maybe 12 miles from, from the camp we were at. But the plane we were using then were float planes. And so now you just need another body of water that's big enough. So now you can hunt this area because there's a good body Pack of water it to there. The other lake. Yeah, yeah, so that's your new basic landing strip then. And that's what we did. But in those hunts weren't solo. I done I did those with uh, some friends. Uh, that was back in the 80s, you know. But uh, that's, ended that's up killing important. A bull. I was going to say that's an important part of the safety factor too. You know, the the new technology anymore. Um, and I, I got to stress on this, uh, the fact that you, you have, I mean, when we were younger, they didn't have cell phones, you yeah. know, and not the, not even talking to satellite phones. But, I mean, I, you got to take into consideration, like I, in, what was it, 2011, I fell off a cliff. I said, you know, bounced down, bounced off trees. Like I, it took, I had to limp out, and I, I had a cell phone, but I couldn't get a bar, you know. Mm -hmm. And it took me two and a half hours to go a 15-minute walk type of thing. Yeah. But if, if, so nowadays, um, I, I leave a note whether I got a cell phone, even if it's in case yeah. I don't get a bar. And if I'm, if there's nobody home, if I'm hunting alone or you know, there's no friends or my wife's not there or whatever, I'll put a note on the, on the kitchen table saying, you know, where I'm going and what time it is and when I, you know, and then every evening I'll call either, you know, my wife or my buddy or Gene or whoever and hey, I made it out okay, type of thing, you know, yeah. because I mean, it can happen to anybody, you know, and we're talking life and death type of thing, you know. So, yeah. but anyway, I just wanted the safety factor. They have those factor. little satellite textures and stuff now, too. <coughs> you yeah. Use those in reaches and stuff. Or do you just yeah. do the phone? I just had the, the, the satellite phone that yeah. I, I use, but, uh, you know, currently so I'm on the solo trips, but. Again, it's a it's a psychological thing too. It's like, oh, I have my satellite phone. Everything's going to be all all right. No, it might not be all right even with yeah. that. You know, because yeah. you're still, in some cases, 200 miles from you know your your pilot contact. But there's yeah. other people that you know they can reach that are you know closer along the way. I mean, the Alaska's you know as big as it is, it's getting smaller and smaller. You know, with the aircraft and you know the transportation mm -hmm. and all that. But uh, for me, Alaska's just you know the, you know the great romance of it. You can, you know you know, check out as far as the technology. So I'm trying to bring less of that, you know, yeah. and, and be able to recharge your batteries. I remember Fred Bear and one of his quotes, you know, the younger guys in the wilderness, you know, they would, you know, uh, um, 
it's like cleanse the soul, he would say, cleanse yeah. the soul, sort of implying that your soul is dirty. But for me, I'm, I look at it the other way. It's like, oh, this is a rejuvenation, a rejuvenated spirit. You know, you're going to have springtime in the fall type of thing, you know, with your spirit. You know, you're getting recharged. Recharged. Yeah. And that's kind of like yeah. what I, how, I, uh, how I look at it. But uh, um, just that, that being alone, it's, it's after a week or so of not talking or not being with anybody, then you get into the second week, it starts to become sort of a spiritual thing. You have a lot more connection if you're a religious type person or wherever you start to feel that spirituality and you'll see some of that in, in my writing as well as, uh, as, uh, as some of the film footage that I put out. And, Do you, you know, find you sleep better? Uh, after a week or I mean, uh, what, what it takes a little bit to get used to a little bit, especially if you're high elevation. Cause me, I'm talking guys would say, well, I admire you coming from, 400 feet in in illinois and you end up in you know basically as you drive and, and within a 24-hour period you're at 12,000 feet you know because yeah. you have a limited time of your vacation and all this stuff boy you got, i gotta maximize every minute well you ought to take a breath at maybe nine or eight thousand feet to get acclimated for for altitude you know sickness yeah. or issues and so but anyway when i put myself into those high elevation spots it's real hard to sleep other people yeah. experience the same thing you get the heart rate and the you know the pounding you almost feel your chest going until you get acclimated for a few days and then you sleep well but in places like alaska uh you know the the sleep comes with you know physical uh issues that you've had all day you're just Exhaust. tired <laughs> yeah you're just tired but uh yeah and, and i, I gotta do the same thing climate acclimated uh, climbing a tree stand i get yeah. halfway up at a 15 foot tree stand yeah i'm not sure if it's old age or just i gotta stand there for a while and then I, before well I get that's why you've <laughs> killed your last four deer out of a six foot tree stand. <laughs> i did i gotta I, again he's not kidding people you know when i show people some of my tree stands they don't they shake their head i mean you know yeah. and i i'm no problem i've killed I don't know. Well, I killed a 173-inch five by five last year, and the stand was six feet off of the ground, yeah. type of thing. But it was in a cedar. It's all you about know, I had a whole, cover. Yeah. whole cut, you know, a hole cut in there, and you know, I was tucked in, and deer didn't have a clue, type of thing. And the, the, what the year before, I shot, I don't know what was one was one, ten yards, and one was, well, both of them were ten yards, and you know, one I was probably. I don't know, 10 feet, 12 feet. Do you feet, use any like forward that. brush or you like a ghillie suit or something? Or? Yeah, uh, and I, I often wear a ghillie suit, okay. you know, type of thing. Or I, yeah. I'll take uh, imitation phony Christmas trees and wire them in the stand if it doesn't have enough cover. You know, that artificial, you can get those, you know, after Christmas. You go to the dump after Christmas and, you, you know, they're free. But even that, you know, you take a, a, a whatever, a Christmas tree and it comes in two or three sections and just wire them i did one the other day you know wire them to the tree type of thing give you some uh, background that, that's you know. what you're calling stand detailing detailing yeah. right you know mm -hmm. but i do in fact this i'm making a new video right now that uh it's like 90 something percent done and it's going to be a guarantee it's going to be very <laughs> popular because um i'm it's going to be more technique and strategy proven technique and a how strategy. to yeah, how to, and there's a lot of stuff, and it's, I mean, it's not illegal, but it's a lot of stuff that I did, I've done over the years forever, that I just never shared with people, you know, I just, I thought everybody did it and stuff, but I, for example, this, this one, um, that, the stand that I shot the Booner out of this last year, I ended up, uh, I went in and filmed it, this is before I shot the buck, and then shot the buck, 
and then went in and filmed it again. In other words, the before and after type of thing. Yeah. And in the same respect, I went into a, a new stand that, uh, that did not, or a new area that did not have a stand, and I taped it and explained it and stuff. And then I went, for example, and I, I hinge cut some trees and I raked the leaves out and, you know, right down to bare dirt and so forth and cut those trees out and move those over there and open that open a visual up and then there's your tree right there and it would shift the deer to where they would used to go over to where you want them to go so that now they're within 12 yards of your tree stand whereas before they were 25 or 28 yards so I shifted them and then I this is before the stand was in there then I came back at the end of the season and showed the before and after and it's a mud path a foot wide i mean it looks like a barnyard and yeah. the the reason you know reason because i shifted detailed it to shift your patterns to where i could take the best advantage of it and you know make the, the shot happen and stuff you know so yeah. and you can just decide whether you want to you know pass them or take them type <laughs> of thing you know but uh yeah it's it, it's going to be popular and as i said it's a lot of techniques you said it's 98 percent how much i've got a last well it was supposed to be it's i can't they can't start the editing until july 13th so and that might take a week or two and then again depends on the how much we get done there then i, I got to go back east and i'm going to do uh, denton hill and speak there and then uh, i don't get back to iowa till i can't remember august eighth or ninth or something like that and then we'll probably do the audio overlay and then i got to do the packaging and the, so hopefully it'll be done you know this fall but i don't i i, I can't say for sure because i'm depending on other people's schedules yeah. and you know like it was supposed to be started they were supposed to start editing it in april and here it is you know now it's july 13th you know so yeah at any rate that's it, that's and you have a you have a new video out now don't you Yes. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Crooked Hat Chronicles. Um, people don't realize, I mean, uh, is that I started filming my hunts right after high school, you know, and I keep telling people, class of 62 rules, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing this for a long time. And I had accumulated over 700 hours of footage of hunts etc and uh, you think of that people you know when you say seven hundred, well well wow, that's a lot but think of uh, relate that to a 40-hour work week yeah. so that means if you start monday nine to five you know monday through friday for a 40-hour work week times you know into 700 three and a half months from now you're still watching the f you haven't watched yeah. all the footage yet anyway i took that 700 and or that footage and I, I got it down to uh, four hours. Um, and it's kind of four highlights. But I, I listed it. It's kind of like chapters in a book, meaning I, I have most of it's whitetails. But I have passed up bucks. I got, you know, bow kills. You know, but in fact, I got one little short chapter on misses where I missed one or two. But anyway. Oh, a very short chapter. Very, very short chapter. But then I did, uh, you know, chapters on bow fishing and bear and hogs and javelina and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Oh, some nostalgic pictures uh, of, you know, video bucks I shot in 1964, or, you know, that type of thing. And it, it's four hours long. I tell everybody you got to buy a a pizza and a six pack because it's four hours <laughs> long you know but uh it's it, everybody the the first chapter is nostalgia 
and everybody's you know man i'm I, i'm so glad somebody brought that out because yeah. you can tell i mean the old camo patterns and it was yeah. but it was they have to realize it was not really made for production and it's fine but it's in other words it's footage that was filmed in 1965 or 7 or whatever and you know just little short segments yeah. but it, then it, again it goes all the way up through high definition and so forth you know you, you alluded to passing on a uh, 160 inch buck due to a dead battery from the cameraman, mm -hmm. how did that end up playing out for you the rest of the season? Uh, at your hunt, were you able to get um, back on that buck, or were you no, able no, to no. fill your tank? That buck hap happened. He be, he was killed with right in a rifle okay. season later, and I I saw the buck, and I think he scored 158 or something like that. But uh, I'm different. Um, I and again, I just I hunt for personal satisfaction, and people tend i don't lie and people tend to not re in other words i'll say i passed a buck and if he wasn't boone he was knocking on a door type of thing and i guys i think guys will go yeah 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 well now i got the footage i mean you know where <laughs> bucks will I'll, I'll let a i'll let a buck walk you know and he's only four and a half years old he needs one more year and even if he's boone He'll, if he's four and a half and he's Boone, he'll, still, he'll be bigger when he's five and a half. I try not to shoot any bucks under, you know, five and a half years old and so forth. So it's a mat. And, and then I also do it for reasoning, meaning it depends on the year where I'm hunting. The, you know, in, in other words, the first day of a hunt or the last day of a hunt. Um, I, like when I first moved to Iowa, I had one buck tag and I passed up. I mean, giant bucks that I, I wish I would have shot now. But if I would have shot them on October 2nd, I wouldn't have been able to hunt October, November, uh, until yeah. right before, like Christmas type of thing, or after Christmas, and until late season. And I just, I can't take that, you know, I mean, not being able to hunt. So I, if it's October, I mean, beginning of the season, I would let, I'd let a buck walk type of thing, you know. So it's just a, it's a matter of personal preference. I've got... Uh, on the video, there's footage of a, there was one big non-typical, um, his nickname was Trainwreck, and same deal, he was four and a half, and you can see him, he walks right by, you know, 15 yards type of thing, and I let him go, you know, because he needed one more year, and it's pretty discouraging because uh, we found him dead the next year, he got bigger, and he's way over 200 inches, and he, he ended up you know, we found him dead with a small caliber bullet in his chest, you know. Mm. So, and again, that, that's pretty discouraging when yeah. you try to do everything right. And I, I keep saying, hey, I'm an old guy, you know, and here I, here I am, you know, passing up Boone and Crockett bucks because they need one more year. And then somebody <laughs> shoots it, you know, poaches it and yeah. whatever, you know. So it's pretty discouraging, but you got to do it. You yeah, know, if yeah you don't totally. Do it. You know, so anyway. um, how about in those olden days? Uh, I know you were uh, friends with Paul Schaefer. Mm -hmm. um, did you do you have any old do you, did you film him at all? Do you have any footage of him from back yeah. in the day? In fact, I got some footage on this the new video of oh, the Crooked Head Chronicles and stuff. And Can't wait to see. Yeah, it. he was a he was an amazing guy, and I I even tend to this day, you know, I hesitate telling stories about him. Because I think people don't believe it, and they, you know, they think you're exaggerating and stuff. You know, he was but a I'm, superhuman, though, right? Yeah, you know, you'd watch him do. And I, I'm, for example, I would, and you guys can try this at home. <laughs> well, I, he'd be, I'd be over at his house, and he's 
working on a bow, you know, uh, whatever, a 70-pound recurve, and he'd be sitting in a chair, and he would just string it, you know, the push-pull type of thing, string a 70-pound recurve, and to put an arrow on the string, and he would hold the the handle of the grip of the bow in his left hand and grab the string, put an arrow on there, and grab the string and pull it back 28, in other words, sideways, horizontal, 28 inches, and then let it go and move this knocking point up a little bit, you know. And I, I, I can't get a 30-pound bow oh, no. back. I barely lift I mean, my arms. Yeah. Try it. You know, both tr- hands fully, you know, both arms fully extended uh, forward right, and stretch right. out. You try like that. I mean, fly and it was it was not like, hey, watch me do this. I mean, he was he just, just did it. Just he didn't even know yeah, you were doing watching it. And you'd go, oh, you got to be kidding me, you know. That ain't human, you know, yeah. <laughs> type of yeah. thing. You but, both spent time with him in the woods? Not no, me, because no, uh, uh, Paul was out in Montana. I was still in Illinois. Okay. So my yeah. connection kind of a, to them was because uh, with Bart Schleier, I kind of knew him and, and uh, talked with him, you know, when in our in our passings, at, uh, 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 a friend that, uh, that he used to work for, Dan Foster at Foster's Taxidermy in, in Wasilla. So I met uh, Bart uh, Schleier there, and uh, so – yeah, he had that connection to Paul and, and Bart and Barton. Yeah, yeah. but they were they were friends. five years difference in age, yeah, I believe, something like that. But he's another another guy that gets you know, you know nobody hears all, about. Yeah, that. yeah, you know. So. Maybe you could tell us uh, another one of those. You know, share with the younger guys listening because surprising how many people he, he was kind of you know my hero growing up, Paul mm-hmm. Schaefer. How mm-hmm. many people now do you talk about? I don't know who that is. Yeah, right. I mean, maybe um, you could share another one of those stories. Yeah, um, a couple quick ones. I remember one quick. time. Yeah, well, I'll try. To, I'll try to make it quick. One year, um, I got. I shot a six by my Tim Fox, another guy, another mutual friend. He shot a three thirty six bull or something like that. All right, I shot a six by six bull, and and it, this was in this basin that I had. There was a bunch of bulls bugling, you know. So Shafe, hey, let's go. And Shafe was getting ready to go on a whitetail hunt the next day or the day after. I can't remember. Two days later or whatever. Anyway, we go in, and it was a a raghorn, a, just a five by five, and you know the deer, the deer, the elk walked up fifteen yards and standing broadside. And it just, you know, a five-by-five bull. And it finally turns and just walks away. And I said, why didn't you shoot him, you know? And he says, I said, you just said you needed the meat, you know. And he was right, there he is, right there. And why, how come, you know, and he was leaving the next day to go whitetail hunting and stuff like that. Why didn't you shoot him? And he says, yeah, you're probably right. And, he, you know, so he knocks an arrow at 65 yards, double long, right through the... the oh, hole. so you're talking about... Yeah, he passes him up at 15. <laughs> Passes them up at 15 and then shoots them at 65 type of thing. And then another one, we were we were uh, hunting on the Sun River in Montana, Montana and Shafe and I, and the, the landowner wanted us to shoot every anything. And we, it, we you could get a, back then, you could get a whole stack of tags. And Shafe and I were hunting, and it was kind of a, you know, I had I shot three deer, and he had two, so I was whipping them, right? <laughs> and it got down to the last, like the, the last hour or whatever of the last day and i'm you know it's three to two i'm winning type of thing anyway he he was in a tree stand and i'm on the way out you know and i you know i'm walking and there he is up in a tree stand and he does so he's waving you know does the hand signal and he waves me over and i walk and i get <clears throat> i get out there like 40 yards and he said and he puts up his hand and says, stop and then he points to the ground and i look down on the ground and there's a bloody arrow laying there 
and a blood trail going off and any you know, thumbs up right and anyway so i paced it from the arrow it was 40 yards to the tree stand and i paced it off and he says yeah i just i just shot one and stuff like that now super you know anyway anyway it ended up i said chief i mean that was a that was a long shot you know and he says what do you mean it was only 40 yards you know <laughs> you know like <laughs> everybody shoots them at 40 yards you know type yeah. of thing you he know, would but practice out way out yeah, there he'd that, practice yeah he'd practice he, he his dad owned a, the family owned a, a wheat ranch and he tended to shoot at long <laughs> ranges he'd practice at 60 70 yards yeah. and then a 40 yard shot was a chip shot yeah. you know it was a piece of cake and stuff you know but who the was guy, he who was he hunting with that time or just shooting or stump shooting type of thing and and they look back at his camera sitting on the log, oh, yeah. and you go, I bet you yeah, five dollars you can't uh, hit that camera, hit yeah, your own camera. His, <laughs> yeah, it set his camera on top of a stump, and we were shed hunting, actually, and the camera's t sitting there on top of the stump. Who the heck was it? Was it was uh, uh, I can't remember who it was that bet him, but they bet him 10 bucks. He couldn't, you know, when he, you know, it. I don't remember how 80 far. yards yeah it was at 80 I can't yeah. remember it was like 75 80 yards you know right through the lens man but he, you know he ruined the camera but $300 one camera 10 bucks, for a five dollar or ten dollars yeah. Yeah. yeah right you know type of thing you know but anyway he like I said he did stuff like that constantly on the video on the that new video I got okay we were hunting on a ranch in Montana uh, okay it was bow hunting only and then the other side of the river was open gun hunting, but the bow, the bow area, we're sitting there in a tree, and this, I don't remember now, three, four does or five does, I can't remember, comes walking by, and the one it looked like it was had a, it was gun season, it was guns going off all around the other side of the river. It looked like it had, had its leg blown off. Well, Shafe, he couldn't get an arrow through, so, and he wanted to finish it off, a mercy killing type of thing. So. He goes around, picture this, he gets around the back side of the tree, not where the ladder, you know, the climbing stick went up to the hang-on, all right? He gets around the back side of the tree and, you know, lowers his boat, shinnies down the back, so he kept the tree between him coming down, comes down the tree, takes his bow off the, the hull line, sneaks up to only 30 yards, you know, double lungs type of thing you know so and it you know finishes it and it ended up i mean again i got i don't have the shot but on film but i got that you know when he, we walk up the deer and it was it was a blown off leg but it was actually a healed wound from the previous year you know so he did wow. a mercy killing on it but it was uh, a three-legged three-legged doe but how, how many guys would think of doing that when a, a deer comes by and you feel like you know finishing it you should yeah. finish it off but it, you can't get a shot well most guys would, well, you know, no, no can do and look the other way or forget about it, you know, not, not shave, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll just try, I'll do this, you know, type of thing, you know, so there's all kinds of things like that, you know, and, and it's interesting, you know, the friendships like him and Bart and stuff, you know, when Bart shot that big brown bear, um, you know, Shafe was the, the filming it, and I remember him saying, you know, and you, they got footage of them stalking the brown bear, then he got right there, and Bart comes up, and he Bart shoots it and stuff. And I remember Shafe saying, he says, I was really nervous because, you know, he was filming it, and it was so close. He just he was afraid that the bear was going to instantly turn and be on both of them and, and all that stuff, you know. And uh, stories, oh, I, I, somebody mentioned that this weekend. Um, <laughs> back the, um, when, when Shafe went to Africa, he ended up um, a lion 
lioness. A lioness crossed the road in front of it. So <clears throat> he grabs his camera and the PH, a professional hunter, gets out and they were gonna, he was gonna film the lioness, right? Well, when he, the PH, and he had a 375 or something and Schaefer was bow hunting. Right? When he picked up the camera, he realized the batteries were dead. So he grabbed his bow. Anyway, the lioness ends up charging the PH and it's mauling the guy and Schaefer runs up and puts, shoots the lioness while it's on the guy killing, mauling the guy. The lion drops him and turn, it was running to Schaefer and then when, it, when the guy threw up the rifle, it turned and jumped on the, the professional hunter. And anyway, Schaefer shoots it while it's mauling the guy and then it drops the guy and turns and starts running across. He grabs a second arrow and puts one through the lungs while it's running away type of thing, you know. Anyway, I was doing a sports show in Philadelphia, and there was a guy there, and, and it, this is right after Schaefe got, you know, and he, the guy says, yeah, Schaefe just showed, he says, I was out in Montana, went to his house, and he showed me a picture of that lion, and I said, uh, yeah, that was quite a story, the lioness, and I, I, said, he, I said, that was quite a story, and he says, what do you mean? And I says, about him shooting it off that guy and saving the guy's life, and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, let me get this straight. You were at Shafe's house. He showed you this picture of this lioness that he killed. And he just happened not to mention that he shot it while it was mauling this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, that, that can be a break, yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it just, but, you know, uh, stuff happens, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I'm awesome. talking too much. Go ahead. No, no, the same oh. things like with Bart Schleyer. You go to russia or go somewhere working with uh, the large predator capture experts and he goes to nepal and catch this man killing uh tiger you know and uh he'd capture it to move it or whatever put collars on it and all this and his sisters would have to read about this in the paper because bart would come home and says oh you know, nothing happened nothing no, nothing eventful yeah. happened you know, <laughs> you know <just laughs> they're cut yeah. from the same mold yeah. you know you yeah, can right. read about a lot of those stories on our website brothers of the bow so i have the articles there about bart and and gene and both mm -hmm. gene and barry i believe have yeah. stories about paul schaefer and mm -hmm. you know comical things like barry just described like if paul needed some change he would just turn gene winsel upside down and shake, shake the, the, shake the, the chains out of his pocket <laughs> but, you know the physical strength and just the determination stuff he got bark. i remember one year he, paul brunner was hunting with shape shape i was just gonna bring paul up uh, okay brunner, brunner okay. got a sheep tag in montana and he, he shot a, a beautiful big you know ram and shape was with him and he said he says uh Schaefer, i mean uh, brunner says to shape he says man he said, I'd really like to get a life-size, you know, they're at the base of the mountain. He said, I'd really like to get maybe a life-size mount on this sheep. I mean, what a trophy. He says, but, you know, I mean, how would, you know, you almost have to quarter it to get out of there. And Shafe says, well, I'll just put him on my back and carry him. <laughs> Shafe picks up this, a full-grown giant ram, puts it on his back. And I remember Brunner saying, he says, man, he can beat me. He says, I had to, I had a bow. And he says he beat me <laughs> to the top of the mountain with a whole bighorn sheep on his shoulders type of thing, you know. Wow. That's yeah. like Mike. I mean, that's that, oh, not like, yeah. yeah. like me. Yeah. These guys were just unbelievable. Yeah. I remember I read an article about, I think it was this football coach who went on to be, I think it was this yeah, football Erickson. coach at Mount Yeah, he it, went on to become yeah. uh, it, pro coach, I think. Yeah. yeah. He, it was and Seattle he, Seahawks and yeah. Miami 
What was it? I'm not a football big Yeah, me neither. But, it, but he um, said he was the toughest yeah. guy he'd ever coached in his life. Yeah. You know, Erickson said, you know, that, yeah. and think about that. I mean, yeah. an yep. NFL <laughs> coach yeah. and college, Miami coach and all this stuff that uh, – Seattle and Miami, I think. But anyway, my yeah. point is, yeah. I mean, how many tough guys did he see? And he said pound for pound. Paul Schaefer was the toughest man he ever met, you know, type of thing, you know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, just unique. And people, I mean, we do this, and but you know, we got, we all have our little specialties. I mean, you know, you know, again, Mike's known to go back in the middle of Alaska alone and stay for weeks at a time on his own, and I'm known for the whitetails type of thing. But Schaefer, you know, these guys that they don't realize, and especially with the fact. That they don't brag they're so humble mm -hmm. and people the and especially the younger guys the fact that the younger guys these days they don't have a clue you yeah. know that these guys they are, had at the time nothing to sell i mean he had his mm -hmm. bows and his businessman whereas me i'm trying to you know I, I i hunt by myself and then self-film then do the editing and then self-produce it and then have to self-promote it which is the hard part yeah. then i have to go out and say things about myself because you know it's, with no sponsors and things. So that's the yeah. hard part. That's what's great about you guys sitting here doing this yeah. work for us, so, you know, getting, <laughs> getting the word out. Whereas mm -hmm. Schaefer and mm -hmm. Slyer and these other guys, uh, you know, they, you know, Roy Roth is another one of modern day. He just died. Yeah. So these guys are cut from that mold yeah. of, of humbleness and, you know, just doing things and, you know, you know, what's the problem? This, I thought everyone did it that way. Yeah. Some of the yeah. comments that Barry made yeah, right. and, and that's just how these guys do. I mean, there's the, there's the, 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 the sheep that you got to get to, we, the wind is in the wrong direction. Well, just walk 10 miles around to get to it or, side, you know, yeah. or, yeah. but uh, Bart Schleier, he was like, I coined the phrase or what of chasing solitudes kind of like from him. Cause he was in, you know, he grew up in, in Wyoming and then moved to Montana, but he, he'd hunt there. And uh, if he'd see somebody in the woods or whatever, he'd try to find a new spot. And eventually he moved to Alaska. He'd be on a river somewhere. And if somebody floated down that river, he wouldn't want to hunt there anymore. He'd find a new spot. You know, he'd go in, you know, after after sheep and, and hike in like 20, 20 miles of the backpack up the up the canyon, up the river drainage to get into where this sheep was, the doll sheep in Alaska. And he'd get there and he'd see somebody there. He'd say, ah, you know, this is not what I'm looking for. Even though the sheeps were there, if he saw too many people or any, sometimes even one person, he'd turn around and go back out. Yeah. After, you know, incredible feats. But so I'm saying he's like, keep moving. And he ends up, you know, eventually, you know, moving to, to Canada so he could hunt his beloved stone sheep and, you know, in, in, in the Yukon. And, you know, that's where he, you know, he died on, uh, you know, on, on a moose hunt by himself up there on, you know, on a solo hunt. So that's my sort of connection to his experience yeah. and things and what I, I wrote about. I mean, I wasn't real. I'm not his best friend type of thing or a lot of people knew him more so than I did. But I was in the, I guess, the, the right guy to, to write stories about him and to do a little, you know, research and get his yeah. story out there. And, and at first, I would, you know, I'd run across some of his friends and some of them would say, hey, you know, his son, you know, we were trying to help his son at the time, you know, he was in, in Russia and stuff, you know, so how would you like it uh, if, if uh, you know, you died and you had all these outside people, you know, helping your family, helping them out. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, the, the humbleness side of it, would he really want that? But then I came across a story where Bart wrote about his good friend, Paul Schaefer, after his passing. And, you know, so if, if and I thought to myself, well, if Bart can write and tell stories and continue the legacy of Paul Schaefer, which is what he was trying to do, then it's okay for me to write about Bart Schleyer and try to, you know, tell people about and con continue on with his legacy and let, let, let the word out, 
so I've continued to kind of do that from time to time, and you'll see that in in my writings and in my book, and also in this current film I have. Uh, you you'll see uh, also some of that. It's called yeah. chasing solitude. So it's a hard thing, you know. We have a a big issue we have with getting guys to come on the podcast is a lot of these guys that you know have killed hundreds of big game animals mm. and they're they don't want to do it. they don't want to talk about themselves yeah. or talk about but the reason that i pers- personally like to do that is to share the fact with the youth of today and yeah so many people or kids today think and it's pretty discouraging that they think the only way to shoot a big whitetail is to sit on a food plot in a shooting house and play their game boy and wake me up if a big one steps out pop you know and i as i said i i like to be able to teach the the woodsmanship skills and explain this is why i do this in other words set up the pieces of the puzzle so that it's almost like predicting the the future so that in other words you're you're taking the woodsmanship skills and learning what's that de- what that deer is doing and why he's doing it and then setting up on it and only hunt it on prime conditions when the wind is right and just wait for it to happen wait for the 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 sub or the the deer to walk by type of thing set up the situations and that there's that's so much more rewarding when a, a person can do that rather than you know shoot them driving down the road or shoot them yeah. in, a, in a food plot and they have no clue you know well, so and, and sharing I'll, the legacy yeah. of, of the, the the skills and stuff is a big part of why we at do it. At the end of uh, Primal Dreams, I wrote the the poem there, the climax. I know you hate uh, poetry, but anyway, the main <laughs> point of it was, you know, you can't uh, you know you can't buy the feeling of achievement. Like guys can go out and basically buy a large white tail, or if you have enough money, you can buy a big elk or this type mm-hmm. of thing. But you can't buy the feeling of achievement. You have to earn that type of thing. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it goes along with what and, Barry was and saying. And I was just talking to Dave Couch here. He's the archives uh, measure out here, and he runs that for the Comptons. Mm-hmm. And we had a good discussion about this today. And and I was telling him, like, you know, gosh, you know, it's hard. and it was hard to get him. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. want to talk about nothing. Mm-hmm. He's like, but but I'm trying to explain to him. I'm I, I don't think James and I are, are young mm-hmm. anymore. We're getting old. And he's forty, <laughs> and but. But the generation below us, like I'm able to see enough of that 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 they that that with the new world and the social media and the, mm-hmm. the Facebook, like the guy, all the people that are on there and the people that they're seeing, that's not, in my opinion, like maybe the right way. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And if and if guys like you and the guys that we've had on our podcast don't share. Their, it, some of it is their achievements or however you want to say it, just their hunts. We try to keep it simple. With the wisdomship skills. Yes, and, and if they don't share it's that. Lost. To it's the a lost generation, art. There's a whole generation of guys that haven't even shot a bow with their fingers that don't realize mm-hmm. what a tab is. Like mm-hmm. a, We've been it. We've been to shows, and they think it's almost a joke what we do, and then you're like, no, mm-hmm. you know, this guy kills a Boone and Crocker White Tiger. He lets some of them walk because they're not old enough. I'm mm-hmm. like, what? Nobody does that. Yes, there mm-hmm. is. There's a whole community look around, of right. I mean, I could not believe the the guys I met this yeah. week. It's it's mm-hmm. crazy. So mm-hmm. that's And that's again, what, like I said, it's it's kind of discouraging when the kids they don't know the history behind the sport. They don't know what we as older guys have put into it and it's it's 
more fun to me. But I mean, as I said, it's it's learning the skills and sharing it with the the kids. And I I real I I love the fact these the, see these youngsters walk around mm-hmm. and they're you know they uh, they're carrying longbows or recurves or whatever and doing their thing. And I really have to compliment the parents for yeah. F- yeah. for doing. And we that. get to see that firsthand being at the show because they come up to us, you know, for you know photo ops and pictures and you know get the videos and stuff like that but some of these kids are pretty impressive this guy from i think his name was john from illinois but he just won the the oh that the long bowl yeah, right, uh, right. competition <laughs> at cloverdale shoot just last weekend so he was all you know in his, in like his glory from that you know so it doesn't take much of us what does it cost us to you know to sign a you know sign his back quiver or his hat or whatever yeah and there's not and, only you know, so we're trying to put put that out there you know for the, for these young guys yeah. and there's not just a bunch of kids running around here but there's, there's a lot of them <laughs> there's a ton of them and you can tell that they're being raised right i mean they're just yeah. some great little kids i've talked yeah, to very today polite. Yeah. Very, I lo- very polite i love messing I love messing with them too, you know. I'll say, you know, you better be good. I'm, I'm watching you. I might grow up to be Santa Claus, and and then I would, I'll say to these little kids. In fact, it was one. He was like 13, and you could just tell they're really, really into it. And I says, uh, I says, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure I might be your, your real father. And he and, and he says, When are you gonna take me hunting, Daddy? <laughs> So anyway, they're yeah. they're great, man. I mean, it's yeah. just you know, it, yeah. it's super and admirable that the parents are bringing them. Up. I just wish there was more of them. Yeah, yeah there know. was a bunch of them when they were doing the kids shoot, yeah. and, and not only are they taking the kids out and shooting some aerials and some three D. I also learned today that they are doing some mock blood trails, and and they're trying to incorporate woodsmanship skills, which. Mm-hmm. Once again, a lost art, it seems, amongst the community of uh, big game hunting. Mm-hmm. And I find that that's really important, and, and that really, like, touches my heart. I mean, I think it's uh, really awesome that Compton is thinking of, of these things and, and embracing them. Yeah. We need more of it. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, uh, that's what I want to talk about a little bit. For me out west, just to, just to take, take 20 years to now, that change, and then if it changes that much from now till the next 20, you know, and 20 more, it's scary. Yeah. And, I mean, in your opinion, you've seen it three times that. Like, how do we slow that down? I mean, or stop it, but, I mean, how do we slow that down? I mean, you, you've seen it all. Good question, and I don't know all the answers type of thing, but I think we can all just a little bit at a time type take – even if it's just one kid or two, and and show take them out when it's not 20 below zero and the wind 30 mile an hour, and you know um, show them s- things and explain. And kids are like sponges; they love to get outdoors and to be shown. See, this is this is a bobcat track, and this is a coyote track and see these little buds you know notice how they're nip the deer nip the end of them and they're feeding on this you know because you know it's got carbs in it or whatever and and you know point the little minute things like that to them so that they can they can go out on their own i tell everybody i mean especially you know you can you can read the books you can watch the videos you can go to seminars you know and listen to everything but you need to go out and put boots on the ground and look at, you know, put everything. I tell people, slow down, 
I used to brag when I was a kid. I would brag about I could go into an area I've never been before and I run through it, you know, and I would falsely think that I knew it and it was acceptable. And nowadays, and, and a part of it's getting older and so forth, but I slow down. I tell people, you know, been there, done it. I slow down and I'll go into an area and I'll stand there and put the pieces together. I'll go, you know, to a, uh, um, a spot most guys don't look at the big enough picture. They'll stand there and I'll, I'll say, there should be a dozen reasons that why that tree's the best. And most people say, what's over the top of the ridge? Over top, over the horizon. Oh, on the other side of that horizon is a lake or a pond and the deer are going around the edge of that. And that connects with this fence corner that runs north to south, and that connects with the major crick crossing, and that connects with a gate internal type this, and that connects with another f edge on the other side. So everything lines up, and you're going to, you know, when you, you realize and then play the wind right, etc., you, you'll realize that's why you're seeing more deer there rather than just go out and say, Oh, that's a neat tree. So you take the kids out and under, so that they can go home and look or their area and look for the things that you've just pointed out to them and stuff, you know. I remember, I don't know if it's the same, but I remember year, back in the 90s, I won't mention names, but <clears throat> no, again, he's fine with it. But anyway, he was hunting in, in Iowa and uh, he was discouraged, He's, you know, and he said, to, and I was hunting with him, he was discouraged, and he says, uh, he says, I ask you, please, do me a favor. He says, I haven't seen anything. And he says, you're seeing big bucks all the time. I'm hunting the same area. He says, please, take me, pick a tree for me. He says, take me out. And so anyway, I had this one tree picked anyway that I had my eye on it. And I took him in it, and I said, and I was messing with him, and I said, that tree right there, put a tree stand in that tree, and I said, you'll be happy, you know, and he says, and he says, why? And I said, I ain't telling you, you know, so anyway, I'd mess with him. Anyway, the guy put the tree stand up there. The first morning, he shot, it was a big, uh, the biggest buck of his life, 164 inches, if I remember right, you know, just a giant buck, right, biggest buck of his life. And he, you know, he throws his hat on the ground. He says, how do you do that? How do you do that, right? Anyway, I said, come here, you know. And I, and I said, I pointed to the horizon. And I said, what do you see up there? And he says, trees, you know. And I said, now look. Look really close at the horizon. And there was a little dip there. And I'm talking four feet of elevation difference type of thing in that little dip. And I says, now, what's on the other side of the horizon? Okay, you, it's, again, over the hill. I take him up there, and here was, it was a pasture, and then there was a point on the other side coming down, and it was the closest point A to point B. That was the shortest distance going from the, the other side of the ridge across that pasture to the timber. And I says, you line that up with that and then he, he crossed right through that little thing and he came down and he hit that little tributary and he side-hilled it and he walked right down underneath your stand and he, you gotta be kidding me, you know, and, you know, and I was, I was dead on. Well, he, he thinks I walk on water now, but I mean, and I can if it's cold enough, but, <laughs> but anyway, I, wait, I'm, wait, I'm, wait, wait, you walk on water, don't you know how to swim? 
No, if it's cold enough, I walk. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> but anyway, what I'm getting at, it's as little minute changes that will shift where a deer is going to walk. And you can, if, and if it doesn't work perfect to you, you can shift them to move them where you want them to. The one that walks by at 25 yards, and I, I'm 20, I, I prefer, uh, I like 12 yards, 12 to 15 yards. It's my wheelhouse, so, too. You know, and I'll, I, can shift <laughs> them, I can shift them over, you know, to right where they walk by yeah. type of thing. And uh, frankly, everybody goes, ah, that's cheating. Well, it's not really cheating. In fact, it's, it's good for the sport because most guys, especially traditional hunters, are better shots at 12 or 14 yards than they are at 25 or 30 yards, you know. So consequently, you're moving the deer where your shot percentage, it's a higher success rate, and you're going to, you know, not wound any as many animals or whatever. So you've shifted their movement. Did I answer the question or not? I guess, oh, you know. Oh, you five questions uh, down now. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I get, <laughs> yeah. ro I get rolling, and I, I apologize. You, I you had alluded to um, when we were talking about the, you know, teaching people and teaching the kids and how um, how much that they pay attention like sponges. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I've got three daughters, um, 13, 11, and 8, and I, you know, do my best to get them out into the woods and, you know, when I'm going out bear hunting or elk scouting, I even take them out during elk season a little bit and get them to hear some bugles and, and whatnot. And I think it's always funny when I'll go out and I'll, you know, take one of my girls or two of my girls and, and we'll just kind of covered a bunch of country and didn't really find what we were looking for or whatever. And, you know, we get home and the wife's like, well, did you see anything? And I'm like, no, no, we didn't really see anything. And then, you know, my daughter would be like, I seen a red-tailed hawk. I seen three squirrels. Um, there was a bunch of piles of fresh uh, elk scat, and she just lists this whole list of stuff that she's seen. And I'm like, Good. yeah, yeah, we did see all that. I mean, <laughs> sure. yeah, but they are—they're paying attention. They uh -huh. are, and uh -huh. and I think that you got to realize that. I mean, even just around the house or whatever. I mean, nothing gets by these kids. But you you also have to teach them some some ground, some you know morals type of rules. thing. I mean, even yeah. when I was a little kid, I remember. You know, shooting Tweety birds and stuff like that. You know, and and I remember my dad said, "No robins, or they're they're off limits type of thing." You know, I mean, you can't. You know, but it, anyway, what I'm getting at, you got to teach them right and wrong. And yeah, you could do it that way, but you'd better you'd be better off doing it this way and let. Uh, that's the way my dad taught my brother and myself. You know, he would teach us the basics, and then you know turn us loose and try to learn on our own and stuff you know and i frankly i think the reason we became such avid bow hunters is because he he kind of promoted it because he thought we'd get in less trouble shooting bows and arrows than bb guns or 22s type of thing you know yeah so anyway it was a, a great learning experience and stuff you know wow. uh, and you'd you'd uh, um brought up uh paul bruner Mm -hmm. is are you in contact with him still and do you know what he's yeah, up to he, he emailed me just last week he's in mont he lives in new zealand and he he has a place in mont missoula montana and uh he's you know the the new zealand their their seasons are opposite you know summer here is in the united states is winter there but he's he's into uh, uh in new zealand he's he's big into uh fly fishing and he he sends me pictures of these giant, you that's know, big, the best place in the you know, world, eight, yeah, eighteen pound brown trout with the big hook jaw, and he, you know, he caught it on a number, you know, eighteen dry fly or whatever. Is he bow hunting still? Or yeah, oh yeah, and then he comes back to the United States, and you know, basically, 
uh, spends the summer and, you know, September and October. I think he's hunting Missouri this year, too, where he can buy a tag over the cor uh, over the counter. But he, he puts, and I don't know what he drew for tags this year, but he, you know, he, the man's, what he loves he's elk. 73, 74 he loves years old. Elk. Yeah. yeah, we got to get him on. We yeah, and, yeah. He, and he shot, I think, two big bulls, I mean, big, big bulls last year type of thing i mean he just yeah. still do, does it and and uh you know he does it successfully and so forth but uh he's a he's a uh a, a good interesting guy type of thing and he's very opinionated he tends to make some people mad because he he ruffles their feathers and oh things. that's our kind of guy yeah, yeah. I remember, uh, back See, in the day he had the echo enterprise magazine you know and so his uh his uh not a magazine but a catalog catalog sell right, stuff right, right. have gene and barry in there all the time that he got me and my brothers in there in one issue i still have it it's got you know gene and barry and me and both of my brothers in that catalog you know with you know animals basically that help mm -hmm. promote uh, mm -hmm. some, some issue some uh, some items that he had but he, like, for example, just to stir people up, um, in fact, it, I got it in that my new video there, the Crooked Hat Chronicles, there's a little short take on it, and it's in this nostalgic chapter. But uh, he had uh, just purchased, I don't, it was the, whatever year that Rambo first came out, the, the first Rambo movie, but it was right around then where we had just come back from an antelope hunt, hunting together went to his ranch and he, he had bought a machine gun, a 30 caliber machine gun, had a turret mounted on the bed of his pickup truck. And anyway, we took, we were just messing around type of thing, you know, and I took a, uh, um, somebody had given him, you know, a compound, you know, of course, knowing he's a hardcore traditionalist, but he, he had this, this, this compound bow and we taped it on the end of a, of this, you know, whatever M60 machine gun, right? And I dressed up like like a fat Rambo, <laughs> right? And uh, you know, and I put filled water jugs, and I was, you know, yeah. you know, talking about you know cross the crossbow machine gun crossbows. And uh, anyway, uh, I said it's handheld and hand release. <laughs> short range weapon and then i blast this i shoot the the water jug and that's in your video yeah, uh -huh. yeah oh gosh you know yeah right <laughs> i can't wait to see this yeah right and it, you know it, it anyway anyway and then i i at the end and again i i can't remember but the rambo looks at the camera and he says all i ask is to sh you show me the same respect that I show you, you know, and like the c the crossbow is all equal and all this <laughs> stuff, you know. But it, you know, it's fun. But anyway, so then he calls me, we, you know, and he, uh, he took a picture of me posing with the, the the machine gun crossbow, right? And he called me. It was my camera, little hundred dollar thirty five millimeter camera. And he calls me a week later, and he, he wanted permission to enlarge get an enlargement and i you know and i thought he meant it like an eight by ten or something I, yeah i don't care anyway he makes this giant poster i mean a poster and he had an artist draw tattoos on my arm you know mom and <laughs> and all this stuff and it was you know a, a, a poster anti-com i mean anti-crossbow type yeah. of thing you know and then uh, but he sold it it's still you know i've heard you know some guys still have them out there you need type to find of thing. that you know, but anyway, yeah. But, but like I say, inter He's, interesting dude. Oh, I can't wait. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Do, you, do you think you guys would have even imagined where things have gone, um, you know, 20 years ago, where we're at now with technology? Compounds and the crossbows and everything. You want to answer? 
<laughs> no, twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, no, we grew up with it. You know, a lot of us, like Gene and Barry, they only used uh, what we call traditional equipment. Now it's not traditional to them. It was the only archery equipment. But for me, I started out with a you know a recurve, and then got you know everybody was shooting compound bows, so we did as well. But back in the late seventies, early eighties, we all shot them without sights. You know, they were. You were bare bowed, I guess you'd call them. You go to the archery yep. club in southeast Wisconsin. There's like five or six clubs within the 20 minute drive of my house. And the southeastern Instinctive League, everyone shot bare bowed, more like they call it instinctive, you know, because there was, yeah. was no sight on it. But uh, all, almost everyone shot uh, uh, compound bows and, uh, and you know, Jennings and Aerostar and Bear and, you know, um, several other. You know, yeah, Ma make brands out there, and, and then PSE and so forth. And my dad, my dad still shoots a Jennings Carbon yeah, Extreme XLRS, yeah, yeah, the white <laughs> tail hunter and <laughs> yeah, all that. But yeah. uh, anyway, during the during that time, uh, all of a sudden the sights became more and more popular, and then the bows became more and more uh, easier to pull with lead off and Shorter. It's basically about time. You know, like Barry describes all the time he spends in the woods, and I've been talking about the times I've spent out, you know, on vacation and things like that. But I think, you know, the generations have lost some of that time yeah, for, sure. for the, the freedom of that time for whatever family responsibilities and so forth that they've lost some of that. So there's a sort of, uh, oh, we got to get everything done faster yes, and quicker. I don't exactly. have time to practice. Well, we find the joy in the practice. That's what we're trying to bring back. Find that joy in that shooting the bow. Find that joy in, in, in refining those skills. You know, they don't see that. That's how I think we should go towards, you know, have more emphasis on the fun of doing something that you couldn't do before. Whereas if you can take like what Barry just described, the, you know, the crossbow in, in you can set it up and in 20 minutes you can be proficient with that weapon. Same with some of the modern uh, uh, compound bows you know, nowadays. You can set them up and once they get set up, show them or whatever, then they're proficient with it. You know, they don't know the ins and outs of the, you know, the technology and, you know, how to change a string, but they know how to shoot the shoot that equipment in a quick time and, and, hey, that's good enough for today and they're done. Whereas us, we're constantly trying to, you know, work on muscles and pull, you know, pull the bow back properly and form and all this type of stuff that's not necessarily, you know, taught yeah, by that's, them. That's I, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. I'll no, go I was ahead. just going to say, I remember as a kid, in fact, I mentioned to some this to somebody today. I remember as a kid, and I'm going to guess I was probably seven, six to eight years old, seven years old. I remember, and I had a long bow, and I remember pulling it, holding the bow with my right hand and pulling it back with my left hand, you know, like shooting a bow. You could put the arrow on either side, you know, and I made and a, a fiberglass bow. But I'd pull it back left-handed, pull it a couple times, and then I'd switch it around and pull it right-handed, and ah, this feels better. And I, I had no clue but yeah. in my mind, this felt right, whereas pulling it left-handed didn't, you know. And, I mean, obviously, I, I mean, I didn't know what dominant eye or anything yeah. like that. But I remember doing that and then from there picking it up. And I, people thought for years, because I was a traditionalist, that I didn't like guys that shoot comp i don't care what the next guy shoots long it doesn't bother me but um, in other words i remember when the compounds first came out and you, you know whatever night whatever year or 1970 or whatever yeah. but i remember pulling a compound back and that breakover oh man that sucks i mean you know <laughs> in other words yeah. it doesn't yeah. feel right and i was oh i was even though it was 1970 
and I had wasn't in it that I mean it was that long ago I wasn't in it that much I would I actually enjoyed felt the power of drawing the bow a traditional bow back and releasing and I, I made the comment way back then when I would pull a traditional bow back and let it go it felt like I was going off whereas a, a compound felt like the bow was going off and it just it didn't feel right to have that break over and have the bow quote you know not explode or go off but but you know, you know what i'm yeah. saying it just didn't feel right so consequently i just never went to a compound but i don't care what the next guy shoots we as americans i think a lot of times are are so just you know we're going to get it done we got to get it done and by by using that technology, it's it's limiting our time in the field. So we're we're missing out. Like, and, oh, I, and I think that's what we're trying to get across to guys. Like this, it's doable. You're going to spend more time in the field. You're going to learn more, and you're going to earn it and get that experience instead mm -hmm. of, you know, the the shortcut feels good for a little while, and then or buy something that runs on batteries that's going to aid you in something that yeah. would have been yeah. woodsmanship skills yeah. it, it's yeah. really not necessary yeah you know yep. it, yeah they've got the technology but it's really not necessary and it's it's all you know it's all yeah. mental, had the mental type of, side of yeah, it. like mental I side say what some you things wanted. about the, you know, like the old days like uh say i buy a new a new pair of boots you know 300 dollars boots and i'll come in and i'll show my brother mark or something and i'll say look at these boots you know they're $300. I mean, I'm going to really go fast and hard with these things. And he would look at them and say, oh, they look they look much better than what Fred Bear had, you know. <laughs> or, or I'd say something like, uh, look, at I spent all this, made this form, made this uh, composite, you know, fiberglass, uh, you know, composite recurve bow. And look at that. I can really shoot so many feet per second with my new bow that I made. And he'll look at it and say, oh, it looks a lot better than what the Indians had, you know. Yeah. But yeah. the point is, you know, he's trying to get through to me that you, it, you don't need all that stuff, you know, necessarily. Yeah. It's all in the head part. Yeah, we have the marketing. And I'm sitting here giving you examples like that, sitting here wearing a, a Sitka, you know, shirt and part oh, of yeah. the Sitka pro staff or yeah, since they opened in 2007, yeah. you know. But, that, but, but, but when I don't talk about Fred Bear, he had a lot of time to go accomplish what he had to do. The Native Americans had, you know, a 365-day yeah. season, what they had to do, which was feed themselves and so forth. But, but the vacation things and our time allotment is making us go faster and faster and faster. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why I like, you know, just to slow down and do, yeah. the, do, the, do the solo hunting thing, you know. And it's, if I make a mistake, it's, it's my mistake. If I succeed, it's my, it's my success. And, and that and time, you're yeah, taking that long yeah, time. My dad, earning it, my dad always said when I was a kid, he said, you, you know you've been hunting long enough when you forget what day it, what yeah. day it is, you know, what day of the week it is. That's another you know you've been comment that I, I say sometimes is that, you know, you can buy marksmanship. You can buy the equipment to make you a good shot and, and extend the length of, you know, uh, the range of what you're shooting. But you can't really buy woodsmanship. you got to earn that woodsmanship, you know. And uh, they say, well, what's the, what's the advantage of, you know, shooting close, something close, whether it's a rifle or gun or whatever it is. Well, for me, it's, you know, we tell people, well, it's about the, ex the stories and the experiences and sharing all that. And if I go to somewhere and I sh shoot the first deer or, or elk that I see at, you know, however great that distance was, then I left a lot of that story about how I got to within 50 yards or depending on the, the type of weapon or 20 yards or even 10 yards away. <coughs> you left all that 
story yeah, and experience in the field. So yeah. you're, who are you cheating? You're cheating yourself, you know. So yeah. once they see that, they're like, yeah, I want to experience that then, you know. And it might come the next day. It might come, you know, three or four days or a week later, you know, for you to experience that. That's the time. So if you had that time, then you could get back to that experience. Yeah. So that's why um, it's, you know, it's a mental thing. You need to commit that more time to, to not leave those experiences in the field and don't just go to the store and say, so-and-so can shoot 800 yards with a rifle, therefore I have to do it, you know, or with a compound bow, you know, over 50 or whatever, 60 yards or whatever, or even with some recurrence, it's all about the skill set. But for me, I'm, I can shoot pretty good at a pretty good distance, but I choose not to because I don't want to leave any of that story yeah. let in the field. I don't want to leave it behind. I want to share that experience with a, a big bull moose, you know, where I can actually, you know, smell him and yeah. smell his breath at, uh, at 10 or 12 yards, you know. <laughs> yeah. I want to tell you a story for your listeners will probably really appreciate, and I haven't told it for a long time, but it, and I hope, don't hold me to the dates, but I'm going to say it was 1968, maybe, maybe 69, I don't remember, but anyway, <clears throat> my brother and I were going to school in Indianapolis, and we were working, waiting tables and stuff, and bussing and stuff like that at a, uh, a Stouffer's uh, restaurant, which is at, it was the top of the, the hotel in Indianapolis, right, <clears throat> anyway, we're, we're working one evening, and the sun was just going down, and I'm walking across the, the, the dining room, and I look over, and here's this guy standing there, and he had, he had a suit coat on, had his hands in his pockets, looking out at the city, and, you know, and I stopped, and I said, Gene happened to be coming by, and I says, Gene, I says, look at that guy right there, and he said, and he looked, and he says, what about him, and I says, I believe that's Fred Bear, and he says... I believe that is Fred Bear. Anyway, we went up and introduced ourselves, and it was. Now think of the the chances of this, right? It was Fred <coughs> and Henrietta, his wife, and their daughter Julie, and there was uh, um, another couple, right? And Fred and their his family were on their way home from Florida. He says we just flew down to Florida to we're thinking of moving the company down to Florida from Grayling. And, and that day, he says, I think we found a piece of property, I think we're gonna do it type of thing. You know, and you gotta be kidding me, you know. And that was the day that he found the property. Anyway, we were working, but at, at the end, after we got off at whatever time it was, he called us over and said, you know, come on over, you know, you guys have it bad, you know. And uh, <laughs> he, he knew we were really into it, right? <laughs> yes. And anyway, he, he tried to buy us drinks and all this stuff, but we visited for a long time, right? So <clears throat> then he remembered that. I mean, year, I mean, whatever, 20 years later, you know, I'd see him and, you know, I remember you guys and all this <laughs> stuff, right? And anyway, uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, the second thing, I was hunting elk, Gene and I were hunting elk in with uh, Charlie Kroll, who was vice president of bear archery. He was married to, to Fred's daughter, right? So we hunted a week, Gene shot a bear and we, we were hunting elk, but Gene, Gene got a bear and stuff like that. Well, at the end of the week, you know, we're getting ready to leave. So I said to Charlie Kroll, I said, you being, you know, Fred, Bear, being your father-in-law, I says, you probably get to go over to the house quite a bit, right? And he says, oh, yeah, I go over all the time, you know. I says, do me a favor. I says, next time 
you go to Fred's house. I said, steal something for me. You know, he says, you know, nothing big, but steal, you know, and I was just kidding, right? Well, like a month month later, this package comes in the mail, and here, (laughs) Charlie Kroll, he stole, it was a, a Fred, a kill arrow with blood on it, all right? And it was one of Fred's socks. I mean, the, the, the part that goes up your leg was only about six, seven inches tall, but the the foot part of it was like a, a foot, you know, you know, like 14 inches long or something like that. But it was one of Fred's socks, a kill arrow, and his toothbrush, right? <laughs> and uh, so I, and we happened to be having a, it was a PBS banquet, and I donated Fred's toothbrush. Everybody thought it was a joke, for it was an auction, right? And I don't remember, some, but it was some dentist bought it for five bucks or ten bucks or whatever. And we thought, ha ha ha, it's Fred's. And it really was Fred Bear's tooth. You know, nowadays they could check the DNA and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But I, I had Fred Bear's toothbrush. And then we had a fire in 99, and I lost the kill arrow, and I lost the sock and all that <laughs> stuff, you know. But great story. I mean, you know, oh, great people. Classic. And, you know, yeah. uh, again, the, the traditional family so to speak you know yeah. so anyway i thought you guys the readers would in, enjoy hearing that yeah hilarious that's yeah. awesome why don't you uh tell us a little bit about your new dvd out on the moose hunting uh so i hunt like i described solo for maybe 25 years and i get a chance to go up to you know alaska every once in a while and then and I'm away from it, you know, so you're hunting out west and then you get a chance to go again. So then you lose contact with the places to go and you have to kind of, just like everybody else, have to start over and research. Mm-hmm. They it. change so, too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the video itself kind of, uh, I guess I can back up to maybe 2002. I was hunting in an area. We were filming stuff for Primal Dreams and I passed up 17 bulls or something like that. And some of them were, were legal and some weren't. And uh but I got, you know, the idea was to go back and hunt again the following year. And so just like whitetail hunting, you're letting them grow or whatever. And then they closed the season to non-residents that that year. So I had to, Perfect. you know, so I said, oh, well, I had to find a new place. So I went and found a place in the Wrangles. And, and that's what I, like I described earlier about getting dropped off and then moving down, you know, down river and, and killing a bull, uh, you know, nine miles from where the, I was actually dropped off. So. But what I learned from that previous year was the the areas that I had been with those 17 bulls and and all that, when that finally fast forward to 2014, that unit opened back up. So I already knew where to go. So I put in for the draw and and got the tag and then ended up, you know, flying into an area that I was familiar with. And uh, so and then that sort of started the the first filming in 2014 of, of this new video called Chasing Solitudes. And it's kind of a high elevation uh, uh, river drainage, so if you catch it, if you get in there just right, the moose are still up in their summer range, and they're, you know, a bachelor group, you know, like whitetails or whatever. They get kind of hanging out together, and, and the bulls are together coming just out of velvet and stuff. And then eventually they move, the, they move down the river drainage and get into the spruce swamps, and that's where a lot of the rutting and stuff goes. So if you catch it right, you can catch them up there and have more action spot and stalk type of thing and you know so so in the film you'll see some some of that in the the non-responsive bulls and i end up you know getting lucky and uh sneaking up to a bull and uh getting an arrow into him at a, a 30 yard you know shot on on that bull and so that's part of part of the video that i started out with so then the next year because i saw maybe seven other bulls up in there 
but not allowed to go back the following year, you're 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 not eligible because you drew Can't that tag. You drew that tag, so now you so now you're not eligible to go back. So now I had to find another spot, and that that goes to the what I told you about an outfitter, and I had contacted an outfitter and met him. You know, to these shows or something like that. Somehow I came across this guy, you know, and and uh, you know his course uh guided the service is you know fairly expensive he's using boats going up and down the river and flying in so he's you know fully guided outfit you know so that's what i talk about you know finding you know the 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 figurative hole where are you not hunting is there any place you know that you don't want to go and so he pointed me in the direction of a a spot where there's multiple lakes going on a float plane you can land on the water and the multiple lakes afford uh uh basically the additional runways places to land when i get in there and see the topography and the height of some of these hills they're perfect lookouts now i have expanded my range that i can hunt from because i told you earlier that the moose aren't behind every bush but you need to expand that when i see all these lakes out there about one mile parcels one two three four miles out i can hunt all that way and just have to pack to the new lakes so uh so that some of that's part of the middle the middle part of the hunt and i uh you know i pass up a few bulls and then uh uh and the season sort of closed pretty early in that unit before the rut really got going and the bigger bulls didn't come in to that area but uh anyways great memories i had close encounters with bulls i'd call them in from you know a half a mile to 15 yards you know so that's the you know the excitement of getting the right bull and finding that right animal that's coming in to follow the mimicry of a cow in heat coming in and a subordinate bull and getting them right in your lap and it's up to us you know the you know the the selective disciplines of a bow hunter we have the choice that's what's so great that's what's so it can't explain the freedom that we have it's our choice to shoot or not shoot you know legal animals or pass them up for you know future experiences future hunts so that's what happened on that trip and then uh, I went to South Africa with Gene. Uh, Gene once had been asking me for years. I ended up going to South Africa on a, on a hunt there. And so that put me out of 2016. And then in 2017, I'm back. My focus on moose again. I got, you know, moose down on video, you know, on film and stuff. And then my, uh, my hunt there that I, I described earlier with the, with the float plane. And then uh, found another spot with two, some more friends that live up in Alaska and then flying into uh into the alaskan range and uh so this hunt you know the first one was kind of high elevation early season the middle hunt was water landing on water where i had vast areas to access and this other hunt turns out to be you know a high mountainous you know pretty tight uh, drainage habitat so now you're in a different a different habitat where i can get elevated but i'm mainly primarily looking for you know animals that are going to respond to to the rut and and uh you know i got into some some pretty good bulls early and uh ended up calling a real real big bull up from the from the bottom of a uh, of a hill of a lookout ridge and basically drew him right up into the into the the, the crest of the hill and uh when you call them they're coming in to fight you know but so you you want to have the mimicry that you can the loud calling of the of the cow but then you also i also throw in the soft grunts of a subordinate bull and that allows me the finesse to lower the volume as the animal comes in i don't have to have the loud screaming cow and heat because i don't i'm trying not to let them pinpoint exactly where i'm at i want them to hear it 
and come that direction but not pinpoint me which they all do elk do and a lot of these animals do you know, if they don't if they pinpoint the spot and don't see anything they're going to lock up you know and then you're forced to f flash them with a, a fake antler or whatever you have to try to flash them and you try not i, I try not to do that i want to try rely mainly on my voice calling and anyway that's what worked with this bull and as he's coming up the hill you know he's you know full rut craze he gets to the top of the ridge and you know i, I want to make sure the one last you know grunt out to him as a subordinate bull for him to turn left instead of right i don't want him to turn right and go away from me and i have to chase after him i want to make sure he's coming at me and uh, when i did that final grunt that while he's moving uh that's another thing while they're moving they're making noise so they, they have a tendency not to quite pinpoint you but if you're also calling at them as they're coming at you and you call it'll sometimes make them stop to listen so those two things kind of when to do them and when not to do them you have to kind of learn you know yeah. as they're coming in but for here for sure i needed to know i want him to turn left instead of right when i did that i just you could just see in the next few steps he goes into his clunking uh uh, uh grunting calls or repetitive and and just the his sinuses are just drooling you know he's just you know dripping 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 and he turns he turns left instead of right and he's you know bearing down on me and uh, of course i'm you know wearing camouflage you're you know down on the ground uh, you know crouching you're part of the habitat basically and and now you start wondering does he is he really going to see me <laughs> is he going to you know step on me because he's coming pretty hard and there's one uh, spruce tree so I'm looking ahead of that. So if he comes right, I mean, if he, he turns his left around that spruce tree, he's going to be basically on the top, on the uh, razorback ridge. There's no room on either side to get down. He's going to come right in my lap. And uh, so as I'm thinking, I look ahead of him, saw an opening, and uh, he steps over a log. And, uh, you know, he, he made he made that choice. I mean, he he did. Gave, gave me a little bit of breathing room. It was about a 10- or 12-yard shot, you know, broadside as he, as he came. Uh, on me but otherwise if he would have stayed on his current path he would have basically walked right over you with his eyes rolled back in his head you know posturing rocking and <laughs> gonna step over the log which was basically me you know in his mind yeah. so so i didn't have to make that choice and then had to make that oh do i have to move now or you know a straight straight on shot or something like that i didn't have to make that he made it he made that for that me really as he went out. by and he took uh took the arrow so that was that a thing is good, good i part saw of a that picture story. of that online yeah. that thing is a monster yeah. i can't wait to watch that video. yeah almost 70 awesome. inches yeah yeah I, I, I have i got a copy of it and i was watching on your guys' screen in your booth just you know yeah, as a, it's running a trailer so yeah. i guess you know i don't want to be like barry and tell so much about it but basically it's a three three seasons and you know the, over four Good years and then the that. editing comes in and my yeah. son tim did the editing for us my brother david who did primal dreams and essential encounters he's out of the picture as far as that time 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 in, in his life right now raising the kids and all that he's got yeah. three kids now and so he doesn't have the time that he had when we were doing primal dreams but you so think, anyway my oh, son okay. my son uh, did the editing and i got my other son to play some guitar Perfect. music and uh, my sister plays some piano and things like that but uh so then that you know now i've uh you know it's kind of like uh, your baby you can't wait for it to be born to share yeah. it share yeah. the good news type of thing so, so chasing you, solitudes and chasing all the, solitude. the passions of a solo moose hunter and so it's, it's just is it on brothers of the bow it, it is on brothers of the bow website and my own current website is gene and barry and them getting older and uh, they might 
bring down the site or whatever. I started my own uh, my own site, my own company called Herd Bull Productions. It's also on there. Herd Bull Productions also has uh, stories similar to what we have on Brothers of the Bow, things that have been published that people <coughs> might not have access to, uh, links to podcasts that I've done. So the information that we're talking about can, can easily easily be accessed you know there so there's article stories moose on african stuff there now and as i build that it's kind of a, a reference point to people access to what i'm what i'm up, up to and hopefully you guys will put out this podcast i'll throw a link there and we can all sort of yeah. connect together as far so as reaching me, the young people let me interject this you know what mike just said you got a picture in your mind that here he is alone in alaska with Nobody coming around for two weeks, and here's a, a giant bull, 70-inch bull moose in the rut at 10 yards. I mean, you know, we're talking 30 feet from you, you know, and he's in the rut, and he ends up shooting. I mean, it, everything comes around, but you compare that with a, a rifle hunt. In other words, the, the close confrontation that he just went through, compare that to a gun hunt. And I'm not against gun hunting, yeah. but I'm saying, you know, most gun hunters would have shot that bull when he was 100 yards away. And I've been in this opinion my whole life. I think bow hunters tend to be better hunters. And as I said, I'm not against gun hunting, <laughs> but I'm saying... If you're sitting there in the woods and a, a, a big buck walks out at 100 yards and you got a, a gun in your hand within five seconds, 10 seconds, it's over. They blast them. Whereas a bow hunter, because of the range limitations on your weapon, if he's 50 yards, you might not even get a shot. So yeah. you're forced to, to watch that animal and the 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 especially the social structure, if he's you know got a doe with him or whatever, learn. I mean, I I talked to I've have talked to rifle hunters. They've never seen a buck make a rub. They've never seen a buck breed. They've never seen a buck make a scrape. You know, because they're gun hunting and it's it's over, it's over. type yeah. of thing. So learning and especially traditional bow hunters most of the 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 uh, uh traditional bow hunters have to have their range limitation is less than the compound guys so consequently they they are forced to watch the interaction within the social structure of those deer and learn things like that so consequently they're just through uh, sheer saturation they're generally better hunters but compare the 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 whatever you want to say the scenario mm -hmm. the hunt between a gun hunter shooting a bull moose at, at 200 yards with a 300 mag versus you know a bow hunter traditional bow shooting them at 10 yards they just it's not even yeah, the same i had the part. same uh, same experience from one of the trips i was up there in alaska 21 days alone hunting moose i was supposed to hunt caribou but that trip didn't play out so I was stuck in my my camp at for 21 days hunting just strictly moose and I come back you know I had video footage and so forth and I'm in the airport in Anchorage and I saw another guy he was looked like he was camo or whatever we started talking you know he's from Germany in Germany like you know it's a big thing that like you want to shoot the moose you know everybody not become a man but it's a it's a prominent thing to come you, you know get a moose come to Alaska get a moose so I was trying to talk to him about his experiences just like what Barry is saying since we were on a raft or a boat you know we were on a boat coming down the river and there was a, a, a moose crossing on the second day of the hunt you know he's in the middle of the river it's not you know deep wherever he's wading across or whatever we pull the boat to shore and 
I shoot it and, you know, we're done, you know. So I, my, I was questioning, well, what was the bull doing, you know, ahead of time? What, would, what did he do before that? How did he get to the river? Or what was the other animals that you saw? What else did you see? And it was this, all the time it, it was done. He, he accomplished what he wanted to do. You know, he was done. He got his he got his moose. He got to go home and say, I got my moose. And then I was sort of left, you know, kind of hollow as yeah. I'm sitting on the plane for the six-hour flight back to home, re-watching all the footage that I took. And I saw 40 bull moose during a 21-day period. Yeah. I mean, encounters yeah. that I've seen in films, smaller bulls, big bulls, multiple bulls probably in the same yeah. bull in multiple days, you know, as they come in through the, the theater. You're up on a high a high ridge the theater is what you see out in front of you the playground of all the animals that are coming and going the moose the cows you know the calves the grizzly bears you know 32 grizzly bears you know you start to count and write all these things down you know as i'm getting excited you hear my voice right now you know i didn't even kill a moose on that trip after seeing all that you know i must I'm yeah. a suck as a hunter, but <laughs> there's yeah. other reasons why. Yeah. I do, other that reasons German why. guy's going, what a loser. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'm saying, the excitement that I'm feeling for that hunt right now, yeah. the memories of that hunt right now, I, I'm living to telling hopefully thousands of people who are listening to this podcast, whereas I can guarantee you, you know, the, the German hunter, he may have the horns on the wall, but he's got no story. Let he's me, got no story. Yeah, that. Those, those that close encounters. Yeah. Yeah. I use this for an example a lot. And just what Mike said, people, y- yes. You know, you both might end up with a moose, and a, but I, I use a, the analogy, so to speak, of a, a, a eating a dinner. All right, where one guy goes to a fast food restaurant and you know golfs down a, a, a hamburger, <laughs> and versus another guy that goes to his family and eats a home cooked dinner made with love. One's a, a dining experience, and the other, yeah, you get just as full scarfing down the the hamburger from the the fast food restaurant but it's not the dining experience of eating a a meal at home with your loved family type of thing so yes you get just as full but totally totally different experience and i I use that for a really similar to a guy bow hunting versus a guy you know absolutely feeding feeding the inner man yeah feed the inner man through doing that Mm -hmm. yeah the close encounters have so much value that's what i you know, we we were talking elk hunting with some other guys, and it, it's like you you go out and hunt for twenty days, and and you get one or you don't, but you still have this giant, all these close encounters that have so much value, and you, they just they just mean so much, and you only mm-hmm. get those through limiting yourself yeah. and putting in that time. Another and another uh, example of a sort somewhat modern hunter that some of these other younger guys can relate to. Scott Anzac, I mean, world champion, uh, traditional archer, you know, he can shoot great distances that we described even with Paul Schaefer or whatever, and he only limits his shot to 10 or 12 yards, you know, because he he wants to ensure of the kill and ensure that he had that experience, you know. So that's just one example of somebody he could research. And we've thrown a lot of names out here during this podcast people to, to check yeah. out paul schaefer bart slyer you know roy roth roy roth you know, i mean those guys out here that yeah. other guys can you know give them a starting point and you come to our websites and things to give you know get the initial uh, initial search you can start there but there's so much else out there for you guys to do use the internet for that tell the listeners where they can all find you guys okay and well, where I'm they can find the, the books her, and the dvds herd bull productions dot com i'm on facebook herd bull productions also have a uh, youtube channel i just started so some of my uh, the trailers and things are, are on there 
Also, I'm with Gene and Barry Wenzel with my two brothers, David and Mark Mitten. And we're on brothersofthebow.com as well. So, And uh, we're expanding that website. And there's also free reading yeah. on there. There's educational things on there, podcast links on there. Give you Trail a start. camera pictures. Beyond, the, beyond, the, yeah. uh, beyond just the, the items that we have for sale, like mine are Herd Bull Productions, a, a company with two products, a book and one video. So, I mean, it's not yeah. you know, about what that what you're trying yeah. to sell an item, but it, but that's is a means to, to, to spread the information. Yeah, so, to educate, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so, and uh, Herd Bull Productions and Brothers, Brothers, Brothers of the Bow. And Brothers of the Bow. Dot com has got uh, books and primal books dreams. Books video, and videos and, and, you know, free, like Mike said, free readings, uh, trail cam pictures, uh, old, you know, our photo albums, so to speak. A lot of free stuff. And that, that's what I said. Yeah. We're not we're not as pushing. I'm, I'm definitely not a high, you know, big salesman type oh, of thing. Yeah. But, by, but by sharing what we have on that website, hopefully it will start a spark within the guys. And, hey, these guys have been doing, not only have done it for years, but they've done it successfully, and I don't necessarily need this or that. Yep. And maybe I should try it that way. And exactly. as I said, try if you if you don't like it, go back to the old way type of yeah, thing. It didn't you know, cost but, you anything. Huh? Yeah, it didn't it, cost yeah, you anything. Exactly. You know? and, <laughs> and, the, and the new video that is uh, coming out is going to be... An, a new one coming out, and I think I'm going to name it Out and About. It's going to be Out in the Timber and About Whitetails, and it's going to be uh, proven strategies Tax, and tactics. Te- techniques, tactics for mature and that one's coming trophy out whitetail. This fall. This fall, it should be. Okay. You yeah. know, as the, I said, you, some wood, will there be some wood, woodsmanship skills kind of thrown in there? Oh, major. That's, major. that's what I'm getting at. I yeah. mean, it's gonna, I'm going to be sharing. And I, for years, I thought everybody did this stuff, you know, yeah. and I found out since that they don't, well. you know. And, it, it for, I mean, for, for, for different things, different techniques. I mean, I, st- I in fact, in the, the Crooked Hat Chronicles, I got a, a little segment, and it, the wheeze. Everybody knows about the wheeze now. And I, what I'm saying is, I, I, I'm almost positive it's the first footage ever taken of a live whitetail with the snort wheeze type of thing. Where, you know, that was in, I don't remember, 1981 or something. I showed that footage to a deer bile. He didn't know what it was. I mean, nobody, now everybody. But my point is, I never shared. I knew about the wheeze. I was testing it and using it for decades. Never told anybody about it and stuff. And then, I don't know, I lose track of time. Last 10, 12, 15 years, I started telling people about it. Now it's common knowledge. Everybody uses it. Type. Yeah. And I'll bet you it, it's, you know, I have tell, people tell me that. You know, I mean, I shot the I, I got one friend, and same thing, I won't mention names. I don't know if he wants his name mentioned, but, you know, I taught him to wheeze, and he shot, um, he's got two Boone and Crockett's with a bow that he wouldn't have gotten either one of them. He wheezed them both in. In fact, the, fr- the first one, he was in Colorado, River Bottoms, Colorado, and the deer was off the property walking away from him, and he rattled, and he tickled the antlers, and he rolled the can, and nothing worked, and he had never wheezed at a whitetail his whole life type of thing and he thought well you know Barry just taught me last week and you know here goes you know and he (laughs) he wheezes the deer stops in his tracks turns around hop the fence walks by it 
14 yards, and it was, uh, I think it's number two in Colorado. I mean, 100 wow. And, wow. 176 or 178 inch nice. typical, right? You know, and he said, and he did it again with a non-typical, another booner, and he said, I would not have got either one of those bucks had I not wheezed. But um, my point is, I'm sharing that information. If you try it and it doesn't work, if you don't believe in it or don't want to do it, you know, fine. But I'm giving you the opportunity, uh, the education to try these techniques. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, no loss nice. type yeah. of thing. You Instead know? of the, the wheeze being the last choice. Move that up to the first choice as he becomes yeah, more comfortable you know, to it. I, I, People I've, don't think about. It. I, I've been so when discouraged. I, I remember, like the TV guys. I'll, I mean, you're watching a TV program, and a guy's a knowledgeable. And this is say ten years ago, but a guy is knowledgeable enough that he's got his own TV show on whitetail hunting or whatever. And here's a buck turning and walking away and he rattles and he grunts and he rolls the can and he does the bleat and the deer walks away and oh man that was the biggest buck i ever seen in my life and i'm thinking i'm sorry but you idiot i mean all you had to do is wheeze and he would have walked right up at 10 yeah. yards and he would have been your the best buck you ever shot in your life you know but they don't they don't even think about it type yeah. of thing you yeah. know I mean, but now that i again i've shared that information with some people and my hunting techniques they can adapt accordingly and hopefully it'll improve their memories for the rest of their life type of thing and out and I, about out and about out and about yeah out, i just out, really uh, want to thank you guys mm -hmm. for sharing all this and and for you making these videos uh you know that you guys have been putting out and then this new tips and tactics i think that that's going to be uh huge uh to pass that on to everybody and you know not just keeping that to yourself and thank you um i you know i think we really appreciate that and i i think you guys see me holding this phone up the whole time <laughs> this is our first time doing this this is uh you guys are live on instagram this whole uh -oh. thing uh, we got a whole bunch of people watching <laughs> wow. did you get that time when i picked my nose <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we might no, have it could Barry, happen remember this morning i said you drank that the orange punch and you got a, yeah. a orange on your there? mustache still there barry it's still there yeah zoom in on <laughs> that, that orange that thing I did he doesn't not, ever listen to I me i did not i drank some <laughs> punch red uh, punch yeah. and it it stained my mustache you know and i Obvious. I haven't washed my face yet today. Yeah, and, 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 you know, but you still like me, don't you? <laughs> we still like you a lot. Yeah, and we and we and you know while we're live, uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna um, shut this one down. But we want to thank the listeners and everyone who's tuned in. And and, we, and real quick, just in case there's any confusion, the the one. Because I'm a little confused. You got so many videos. It's Crooked Hat Chronicles. That's the, the new the one, one that you have now, out now. So the right one now, now is Crooked Hat Chronicles. Right now, go to Brothers of the Bow. By Crooked Hat gets, Chronicles and it, by it gets Chasing a little, Solitude. Yeah, I was going to say, it gets a little confusing because my, yes. my book, my last book, is w was Once Upon a Tine, T-I-N-E, with the Crook subtitle Crook yep. Crooked Hat yep. Chronicles. But then the DVD is the Crooked Hat Chronicles, which is, as, as I said, four hours. And it, it shows some of the things that you could read about in the book. There it is. I mean, yeah. people might read it and think, oh, he's, he's you know, lying. But there it is on I tape. Can't wait. I can't wait to thing, watch you know, so. And the other thing that's confusing, Barry, is you use the same cover photo for both. Yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> that was when I was in my prime, you know. Well, I mean, you look good. Okay. That yeah, was yeah. like if whatever, works. 1983 or hey, whatever. If it whatever. Works, and, don't change it. Yeah, right? <laughs> since I, I've just kind of let myself go, you know. And uh, but now I'm a, 
I'm a, a fat guy with a. I keep little kids keep coming up to me and t- telling me what they want for Christmas. I don't get it, you know. <laughs> I think I'm Santa Claus or something. So, uh, so in closing, is there anything uh, that you guys would uh, like to uh, leave us? No, 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 <laughs> no. Maybe no, some stuff, seri- seriously, maybe some stuff you stole from Fred Bear or something. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> seri- seriously, I would say to get out in the woods and slow down. And learn what you think about what you're seeing, and then share it with a younger guy, kid, yeah. whatever, and and share the experience so that he can hand it down when he gets old, like we are, you know, yeah. type yeah. of thing. You yeah. know, just so. passing off the hunting heritage to the next generation, very important to us, and mm-hmm. even a film that uh, the sequel to Primal Dreams, uh, Essential Encounters, really speaks to that too. Oh, give that a plug. With Does it ever? On the, uh, yeah. the Brothers of the Bow Sight, and mm-hmm. I'm just so happy to be here, and then I was just so happy to squeak in a word. Uh, in edgewise with, with Barry Wenzel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, we. Hey, what's your name again? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we 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 just really appreciate. It. I mean, that's that's the whole thing with TradQuest is shining a bright light on traditional archery, and uh, getting uh, the caliber of guys like you and sharing your guys' experience with the the community, um, and that's just basically what me and Bob we we just want guys to not forget the how we got here how this happened, how we got these seasons, um, why we have them, and uh, their value. Great. And thanks for thanks. When will guys, we be able to see you. this or hear it or whatever? Well, you can see it now. Here we <laughs> it's are. on Facebook <laughs> no. Live. Yeah, so. uh, yeah. we'll, we'll edit it. It'll, we'll probably put it out in a week or week or two. two. Or okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. It'll be and we'll we'll be let look. you know. We'll get your numbers and stuff. And, we'll yeah. Yeah. and, and really, I'm not I'm not a real high tech guy. I mean, I'm not yeah. into the Facebook and, the, you know, uh, whatever they call it, the networking and all that stuff. But I'm just saying that if anybody has any questions, you know, they're more Barry Wenzel at Hotmail.com. You're welcome awesome. to, to, you know, ask questions. I might not get to it for a week or two. But I'll try to answer anything if anybody's interested, and you know, I'll give them a, an opinion anyway. So feel free to, to contact me through that too. Awesome. And, and yeah, or very through the cool. Website. I mean, we could I mm-hmm. I could talk to you guys all I know, night I know. long. You guys have been no, you guys I've, busy. I've held you guys up <laughs> for know, two hours. I know. And, Thank you. Yeah. How long has it been? Is two it, hours. Yeah. Has it Thanks, been? guys. Oh, Thanks good. for your yeah. time. We're yeah. Right. Thank you. yeah. Thank okay. you so much. So, listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play. Check us out on our new website, TradQuest.com. We're on Instagram. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. A five-star review would be great. It would help the podcast out. Um, And, you know, as always, keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot and shoot straight. Frosty before the sun comes up, the geese are on the wing. The deer are fat and happy, no, they don't suspect a thing. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name. My eyes are on the target, broadheads all fly true. Can't wait till I can get outside so I can fling a few.